Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Cohen Brothers Brothers, and boy are we excited about this one, Michael. Oh boy, no oh con- boy. Wait, was that a question? Yes, we are excited <laughs> about this one, Abe. Well, it's what, you said it in a previous podcast, it's one of your favorites. Uh, I think it's one of everyone's favorites of all time in film, having won Best Picture and etc. Uh, yeah. And we're especially excited, I think, coming off of, did we, you said it's the Cohen Brothers Brothers, right? Yes, I did. All right. And we both said our names incidentally, so we're good to go. Yeah. We yeah, can just get over go. ourselves and move on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, 2007's No Country for Old Men, put out by Miramax. Uh, I think it's especially gratifying because we're coming off of movies that I found very, very fulfilling to cover, but also are widely considered like a bit of maybe they lost their way a, a bit. They did a, an mm-hmm. adaptation and they picked up a script that they didn't write themselves originally. And in both cases, I thought there were some funny results, but people didn't really care for them. And then No Country. The boys are back in town. You know what oh I mean? Oh, my God. The boys are always back in town. <laughs> this is peak. This is peak, Cohen Brothers. Yeah. I think as peak as it gets, to be honest with you. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those wonderful... Oscar Darlings that was also made a shit ton of money. Uh, it was a budget of twenty five million, and it made box office one hundred and seventy two million in its initial run. And per- incidentally, uh, I think you'd agree, one of the only times that the Oscars pick for best picture is defensible and will be defensible forever. Yeah, like it was the correct pick, so to speak. Uh, I think so. And there are years where there is no one correct pick. But in this case, yeah, yeah, you you didn't pick wrong. And I think that makes it like one of the greatest confluences in film history. I don't think that ever happens. It doesn't happen that often. Best Picture is a great movie that's entertaining and makes a bunch of money. It's just rare. Yeah. And it also has like themes that are like, I'd say the theme in this one is fairly easy to grasp. Uh, there's a lot of um, like higher, some people might say a little too dense the way they go about it, but ultimately like what it's talking about is not that hard for any person to grasp. It's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty basic concept and those sometimes are the best thoughts, I think. So Thank should you. we explain that we're breaking format or I guess oh, we yeah. have to, since I mentioned it. I don't um, care too much, but yeah, might as well. Well, the movie would have, we're trying to mirror what the movie did. The movie would have just broken format at the end, and you would have had to think back and go, they didn't examine it through three spectra. What the fuck show is this? But uh, usually we examine a film, the films of the Coen brothers, through three spectra, diegesis, pedagogy, and how do you do that? But uh-huh. this time, much like the film we're going to cover, We've decided to break our own structure, cast it aside into the Rio Grande, into brackish water to be found later by Woody Harrelson. Meaning that we're just going to go through the film from beginning to end because we realize that the plot is so straightforward in No Country and the themes so present in every plot beat, but also in the way the film is executed. It evinces its themes so thoroughly that you really can't separate anything. So we're really just sort of going to go in chronological order. Mm-hmm. What what happens in the film? Because there's not a lot. There's not a ton of plot beats. Yeah. And, hey, what did that mean? So, mm-hmm. uh, Abe, I think you made more, probably more like robust diegesis notes. I did. Okay. Well, 
let's just you know, start with a short. Uh, if I you teed have it up, buddy. You get your all right. I'll, I'll do an opener. So the the movie's about a rural Texas a guy who's a welder and a hunter named Llewellyn Moss is played by John Brolin. He finds Josh the remains. Brolin, of, sorry, Josh Brolin. He uh he finds the remains of several drug runners who have all killed each other in like an exchange of some kind. Uh, and rather than report the it to the police, he decides to take the two million dollars that he finds on one of them. Uh, this puts a killer who's a psychopath. Anton Chigurh, who's played by Javier Bardem, on his trail, and he just is a complete... He just massacres everyone he finds, almost, until he finds uh, Josh Brolin. Um, so as so the movie's basically that, just a big chase sequence. Yeah. But it just takes breaks because people get hurt and stuff like that. So Moss tries to stay one step ahead. So the other aspect of the movie is that there's Sheriff uh, Ed Tom Bell, who's Tommy Lee Jones who kind of oversees the investigation and just he's looking into the crimes from the aftermath and just trying to see what's going on. So that's basically what the movie is about. But we can start with frame one because it kicks ass from the start to the finish. Uh, so, yeah, the first thing that we see is we see uh, just shots of the country, shots of rural Texas mm-hmm. over this uh, Tommy Lee Jones narration talking about how lawmen didn't wear guns back in the old day. Uh, he, ta- he he likes to tell these uh, several times in the movie. He, t- he, t- he tells a story about like a particular crime or a particular uh, deviant who uh, s- does something. And in this case, it's a story about someone getting uh, put in the electric chair. And he said, uh, I love the quote, uh, he said he was going to hell. Be there in 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other, other line um, that we see is, uh, the okay, I'll be part of this world. Do you want to explain what you took from that? Sure. I also want to say, uh, since we're going in chronological thought order, this is available on Netflix now streaming for free if you somehow haven't seen it. Uh, and the thumbnail is of Tommy Lee Jones. It should be of Javier Bardem. <laughs> Do you agree with that? What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the, That's any, the most compelling. If you're only going to pick one face to brand it, it's, uh, it's Bardem. But... But Netflix uh, does it because they're like, who's the bigger actor on our platform? True, true. Uh, yeah, the monologue is not un-Lebowski-ish. So just on a, a diegesis level, I think, and I won't stay on this level long because I think the richest stuff in No Country is the philosophical stuff. But it's interesting. It's been very interesting to me to imagine the Coens, which I've never done before, as human men, like as people. Um mm-hmm who may also panic about their career make you know so that has going chronologically has put some of that in context and i do see traces of ways in which they are trying consciously to return to their roots and yet it's still an adaptation it's a cormac mccarthy book very interesting to me how various elements of the film though could be described as fargo meets the big lebowski which are their two most undisputedly great films prior to this. Right. Uh, like, I see the connection, but on to the philosophy. Um, yeah, the the quote I think you referenced, I wrote it, so I may as well give it. The crime you see today, it's hard to even take its measure. I just remember he says measure. Mm. It's not that I'm afraid of it. I always knew you had to be willing to die to even do this job. 
I'm going to stop that now. But I don't want to push my chips. No, it's even worse to say cowboy stuff without a cowboy voice. I don't yeah, know what to do. I agree with All right. you. Keep the cowboy I don't want to push my chips forward and go out and meet something I don't understand. A man would have to put his soul at hazard. A man would have to say, okay, I'll be part of this world. Um, and I wrote in all caps immediately after that. And I maybe it's too early to get to this because I think this is one of my yeah. more pertinent questions. I think what I take from it, and because I've seen the film before, is that there will be a repeated motif of how the past was objectively safer than the present is and that with things like the drug trafficking on the border and cartels and things... Uh, the present is somehow more violent and insane than the past used to be. And having just covered Bone Tomahawk, oh my God, Bone Tomahawk, on, <laughs> on one of our other podcasts, um, the past is just as fucked up. And I wanted to ask you, because what I got from it is a question to throw back at you, my friend. Is the philosophy of this film flawed because of Cormac McCarthy being a grumpy old man who thinks the past was better than it is, which is very common psychologically? Um, that's a great question. Uh, I think my personal view is that it's both and they can, they're not mutually exclusive and you can be wise and a dumb, outdated old man at the same time. I think that what this movie and how it's different is that it's talking about a very specific thing that's all entirely in the name of the, thing, of the film. Because it's No Country for Old Men, which comes from a, uh, a poem called Sailing to Byzantium. And um, I, it's like, uh, he, so you have this sheriff who's pondering his life after he leaves uh, his life as a lawman, right? It's like mm -hmm. his last thing. And one of the last parts of the poem is, uh, it's whatever is begotten, born and dies, caught in that central music, all neglect which is re referencing like people who are young and in their like moment in their prime, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And what they neglect is the quote monuments of unaging intellect. That's why there's no country for old men. So monuments of unaging intellect. I think it's, it's different in that when you have to ask the question is it was da more dangerous now, or was it more dangerous then you have to think about who's telling this story and from whose perspective, I think absolutely in the case of Tommy Lee Jones, he is one of those monuments of unaging intellect, but his intellect is becoming less and less relevant. Mm -hmm. And because of that, he doesn't know how to be a part of this world anymore. So it was and it wasn't it wasn't as dangerous. It just depended on your worldview. Now that the worldview's changed, he doesn't know how his worldview It's dangerous uh, to him. It's dangerous and, to him as opposed to dangerous of the world, yeah. In general, which I think is a, a good it's good to specify those differences. Because and I do, yeah. On this watch, I feel like for the first time I noticed some clues that it's not the Woody Allen effect. Like, I originally thought Tommy Lee Jones was just speaking what Cormac McCarthy thinks without editorialization. But whether, mm. I haven't read the book, so I don't know whether Cormac McCarthy is self-aware or the Coens added it, but I do feel that there's visual stuff that sort of leads you to believe that they fully embrace nihilism. We finally said the word <laughs> um, in right. the sense that uh, Cormac McCarthy knows that his worldview is also f just based on his flawed perceptions. 
Like he's mm-hmm. he grants that as well. Yeah, I think it's although who- it's just when you hear Tommy Lee Jones say stuff, it's like a Morgan Freeman. You're like, that must be right. That must, <laughs> that must there's be. gravitas here, yeah. and it's yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it depends on who, because I I think that if you were to ask Anton Chigurh, he would say that the world is always equally evil and wrong because he is essentially there's types of sugars all throughout time. <laughs> sure, there's uh, Splenda, there's cane sure. sugar, there's yeah, yeah. Get that out of the way. <laughs> um, but I, I think for Tommy Lee Jones, it's the sugars of the world that make him terrified about the new world because he has never seen that kind of thing no that would be unthinkable to act that way when i'm saying someone needs to sit him down and show him bone tomahawk bone tomahawk (laughs) or even just a manifest of Mm -hmm. a slave ship that did the middle passage like what the results of that were in terms of human cost right right you know there's no good time it's all bad all right Speaking of all bad, we get Shiger's first kill, right? Well, yeah. So the end of that sequence, as he's saying, like, okay, I'll be a part of this world, uh, Anton gets arrested, and we see his weapon, which is just a foreshadowing of how he goes about killing people. And so at this point in it, all we know is that it's some kind of pressurized, like, gun of some kind that has a uh, tank, and that's all we know. And we're going to see it later. In the second sequence, Anton... I love how they do this, and I think it's an important part of how they show, uh, like, violence in this movie is they do something that I don't think the Coen brothers have ever really done. In fact, I've seen it more often. Like, it's something that sometimes it happens in horror movies, definitely horror movies, but uh, I've seen it a lot in, like, Get Out and Jordan Peele stuff. I saw it in Us as well, which uh-huh. is Anton slides out of his cuffs and strangles the deputy, but the way you see it is it's a it's a normal single shot. You see the background of Anton Chigurh back on, like against the wall doing that action while the cop is talking, uh, on the phone. So all of the, like, like, so when you, so if you think of Anton as like a spider and everyone else says flies caught in his web, uh, it's that haunting kind of like creeping up the spider will do right before the kill. Yes, sir. I got it under control. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's totally a very effective way of showing like, oh no, he's there, he's there because he's out of focus. He's yeah. kind of looming over the event as opposed to the being the subject of the event, which is important because of how when you think about how going on forward, a lot of things that I'm going to mention is about how the Coen brothers utilize uh, typical framing devices and, and shots of objects versus people and how they are similar and how they're different. Um, and, but in this case, it's very much so uh, like a nod towards like a very... Um, like a very haunting action yes. moment. So it's they, they aren't doing anything really poetic until after he strangles the deputy. That performance, by the way, is horrifying, right? Like his eyes bugging out. Well, but it's also, I think, the shot most people remember because it's the louder shot. And yeah. I th- is the, of course, top-down scuff, scuff marks. marks. Yeah. And the camera is spiraling slowly in the opposite direction yeah uh that's it's a very loud kill. shot i the noted this time this ha- from the neck this happens at the three minute mark and also i think made me realize something you just alluded to that i think it's important to remember throughout which is look at how transparent 
they really decided to tone down. Like this shot is one of the shots everyone remembers from this movie. And the reason is they pulled back so hard. Like they're they're using basic film grammar in a very methodical, rich way. But they are like not really fucking with the camera much at all. And I know I compared it to Lebowski and Fargo, but I also think it feels blood simple. Like it does feel like oh, they yeah. went back to the basics of filmmaking, including yeah. Look, man, Cormac McCarthy's book, it feels classic. It feels monolithic. What are just classic film grammar ways to build yeah. tension where it's the opposite impulse of Michael Bay spinning the camera around? Yeah, and you brought up nihilism. I think one of the most effective aspects of the sequence is after he kills him, after he makes him bleed from his handcuffs, and he like exhales, and then we jump cut to a sink, and he's like got bruises on, and he's cuts on his own right on his wrists as he cleans the blood out. When it cuts out of the bathroom, just to say like, and then he went and cleaned up, and then that's when we get the scuff march shot. Mm-hmm. Where we saw the scuff marts being kicked, but then we we hear the it, sound like, kind of tilts up and booms up, where it's um, uh, it's actually just scuff marts and dead feet, and yeah. the shot of it is so still life. It's so like it's like shot like a landscape, or like in a way, it's like non-portrait, because it's that's why I think it smacks of nihilism to me. Is it's like oh yeah, and then he went into the restroom and cl- cleaned up, and when he came back. That body is now just a part of the scenery. It means nothing. It's just an object, so to speak. Right. Just the the remnants of the murder. And I think that that is so haunting because it depersonalizes the the crimes I think that he commits. Two threads there too, because I think it's also building every uh, because Anton Chigurh, of course, becomes larger than life, and you want to think of him as like the Joker or somehow supernatural. Uh, Mm -hmm. And yet they go to great pains that if you're paying attention at all to show that he's just a human, the sequence of events works out this way, but he always suffers consequences of his actions. Even though you think he's like an unstoppable force, it's not true. And this is the first smallest example is... Yeah, he strangled the guy. It also cut up his wrists. And the, it, this will escalate. This is a trend. Like, when he does things, you think, oh, my God, he's like the boogeyman. But no, things happen to him. They just never kill him, at least in the duration of the film. Um, and then, of course, I think what you're talking about is definitely builds immediately because the next sequence is he tells a random human, hold still, please. Then yeah, yeah, yeah. Kills them in the with a tool you use to kill cattle, and then it immediately cuts to Llewellyn killing Shooting a buck, a buck yeah. or a pronghorn or something. I couldn't actually tell. Saying "Hold still," uh, and yeah. what I thought is most interesting is, of course, intentionally because everything must be, um, arguably. Well, I'm not arguing that pronghorn life is equal to human life, but if Humans and animals are, and objects are all being equated through the nihilist lens. Then Llewellyn had good intentions, but it doesn't matter. The pronghorn suffers greatly and he never finds it. And yep. the dude, at least, is like dead instantly. And it just reminded me of the, like the Ender's Game thing. If you've read Ender's Game, basically the core message, 
I won't give away the twist because why spoil such an unrelated thing? But um, the core message of the twist in Ender's Game is you can, it's crazy how you can have the best intentions and cause untold suffering or be a sociopath and like do a real good job because it happened to benefit you as well. Yeah. And then on top of all of this, I love the fact that, uh, and this has probably been shown more than Coen Brothers, but obviously, because they stood, they stuck pretty close to the source material or you mean uh, mccarthy then <clears throat> oh mccarthy sorry sorry i got pinchon is in here vice my bad yep yeah uh yeah he i think the novel i haven't read the novel but uh i did read that they like kept everything in more or less although they cut a lot of like uh dialogue and a lot of um like they trimmed it down to fit into a movie but they tried to keep the events the same and i don't know if this is the same but if it is the fact that moss shoots a buck and then he has to watch to catch it catch it bleeding out it's also on top of everything where it's just like these are just there's no rules to this game i it's just it's it's murder for sub, like assistance or for livelihood for getting a hide or i don't know what mm-hmm. moss is going to do with it but the fact that there was like unnecessary violence and pain that came from the event uh, Moss doesn't really have anyone to like riff about it about like, but he just kind of admits that it's true, and we see that in the next sequence because as the trail splits, I want to just point out he's following the buck. The trail mm-hmm. splits. He sees nothing on one side. He legitimately looks left, and then a limping black pit bull on the other, which, which is, by which the is way, obviously just, from the drug. I want to compare jo- to the Hudsucker proxy hula yeah. hoop shot only in terms of. They got a dog. I like, I know you can do it with trainers, but it's still amazing because I know how, you know, animal laws on film sets are. So there's a dog that's trained to like fake a limp. And then presumably when someone yells a signal from off camera, stops and like pensively looks back at camera and then goes again. I think it could be two different dogs to could be because they arrive in a truck. I think they just have black pit bulls and that's why it's- Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the know. dog acting in one of the binocular shots it's is definitely like, that's, hurt, a good, like, that's a good boy. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, not only, it's, it's not only obviously putting- uh, tying together the two animals and yeah. the eventuality of what happens to Moss in the film, but it's like saying there's this animalistic kind of pain that we all like. I think what they're kind of trying to say is that Llewellyn Moss or Anton Chigurh are kind of like these black pit bulls. Uh, you you're you know good and at murder, trained at yeah, you, huh? Yeah. Well, but the buck get, presumably dies off camera. Yeah, in fact, he Llewellyn specifically. Well. He doesn't go and get the buck because no, he follows. No, it's the gone. Bull. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's probably dying, but he just doesn't. But I, I assume that's. Sp- that's the other thing is because the twist, what it bugged some people. Everyone came to terms with it quickly, but in theaters, I remember people going, "What the fuck?" When the movie ended, out loud, and because the your hero dies off screen, and in this watch through, I realized. They try to warn you as many times as possible. Yeah, it's telegraphed that, very clearly. That sometimes life doesn't pitch, paint this beautiful narrative where like you get the scene. Yeah, we'll talk yeah. about him specifically later and how they treat that. But you're absolutely right. The way that they're already trying to get us on that line of thinking is already happening. We should have known the yeah. buck <laughs> and the pit bull. Like any good film, you're like mm. it was screaming at us from the get go. Yeah, you know, it was screaming at us, <laughs> and we chose not to listen because of normal conventions and the fact that we don't know where it's going necessarily. 
Um, yeah, we're like, well, there's a good guy with a gun and a bad guy with a gun. I can't wait for that yeah. big showedown. That's going to be fun. Yeah. So it's going to be like, you know, like guns are going to be involved, right? And <laughs> yeah. yes, they are. <laughs> so he stumbles upon, I assume by following the Black Pitbull, stumbles upon the drug dealer's shootout, finds a man asking for water, and he takes his uh, automatic rifle. And he's like, ain't no lobos, because he's the guy's scared of Sierra la getting eaten by wolves. Hay lobos. There are wolves, yeah. yeah. There ain't no yeah, lobos. I, I don't want to be, yeah, because <laughs> he's probably a Catholic man, and he wants to be buried and, you know, like, where, yeah. whatever. Uh, and he doesn't want to be eaten by wolves. That would be a terrible death. Uh, and then I love he says, I figure I should head back the way I came in. Which is, oh. Oh, yeah. I want to unpack that. Do you think that means anything? Because obviously it's on the surface oh, I got to hide my tracks, so I should not be giving them a lot of different ways to, like... I don't know me. why my mind here went here, but famously, it's also unclear whether he slept with the woman at the hotel. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason that's unclear is Cormac McCarthy intentionally wanted the frustration of, well, if he cheated on his wife, then in movie law, it's okay for him to die, because that's why he died. He committed a sin and was punished. But if you don't know... It's like two Schrodinger's boxes connected to each other. It's like, well, who did he deserve to? Did he die? Well, you didn't get to see it. He's dead. Did he deserve to die? I don't know. You know, um, right? And so I think I was just thinking it's interesting. No, this is not interesting. This is just stupid. He's he's going out the way he came in. See, because he's going out due to the sin of interacting with a vagina. And he came into the world interacting with a vagina. Is that anything? Is that? A I don't know. Okay. I, I, I don't think so. I think All that's right. a stretch. Only because there's no other like mother well, when you get birth, or it is a stretch. But there's no birthing. Bazinga! All right. All right. All right. You need to time out. I bet people uh, did not expect to hear the word bazinga in this episode yeah. of the Cohen Brothers. Brothers. Bazonkers. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. I just think. I what do you get out the of way it? I, yeah. I don't know. I just think that it it's just a, a line that my my filmmaker Spidey sense just goes oh that means something uh, but the way he came into the story is aiming a rifle and killing something uh, out of necessity I guess that's his downfall I don't know I get that's the thing with this movie is there's no nihilistic nihilism is no justice whatsoever because there's no system of justice so when he throws a word like should, which implies a moral obligation to do something, uh, it doesn't fuck with the morality of the situation. Like, should you not, should you not kill things? Is, is, is violence just to beget violence? Is that all it's all about? And I don't right. think that's well, you what create, the film you, really is talking about. I think the other, yeah, main through line is, and this is core existentialist thought as well, nihilism does not mean systems don't exist. It means they exist as much or as little as anything does, which is not at all. And that sounds like I'm saying the same thing, but it doesn't. It doesn't mean the same thing. What it actually means is you can make systems and endow them with meaning. When we all got together and agreed to produce shows by everyone showing up at this time and employing this system, that system has meaning because the system has function and produces meaning thereby. You are welcome to dissolve or lose faith in the meaning behind any system you created or others created at any time. That's what nihilist existentialism yeah. says. And I, I'll bring that up again when we get further along, but I think that's definitely one of the points. Um, so yeah, I think it's interesting when a character says should in this movie, 
there's that mean can mean so much in the context yeah. of this movie because right, it right. really means it's what they think they should do based on to what wh- ought to happen. which structures in society they've accepted and which ones they think are bullshit mm-hmm. and illusory mm-hmm. at this time very interesting <laughs> yeah so he grabs the money yeah and he by finding the last man standing by like two oak trees and it's got a satchel of two million dollars just a point of uh just a thing that I read that I was like, oh, shit, look at that, is um, the uh, actual satchel that they use mm-hmm. uh, is the same exact satchel. Uh, <laughs> My dad as, used to hit me with. <laughs> uh, it was the same one used in for the same purpose, although it was $1 million in that one for Fargo. Oh. It's the same prop. That's just a funny little, oh, wow, trivia. They wanted good luck on this one, man. They were yeah. like, we can't go out like this. We can't go out lady killers. <laughs> That's right. right. So the next sequence is he returns home uh, with the money for one of my favorites uh, in Medias Rest, like relationship sequences I've ever seen. Uh, he puts the guns in the fa- house's foundation and he talks to his wife. Uh, uh, and her wa- wife is played by uh, uh, Ke- uh, Kelly McDonald and the character's name is Carla Jean Moss. And she becomes important later. Um, but yeah, he can't good sleep. quotes all throughout. Good quotes w- throughout. What's in the satchel? It's full of money. Yeah, that'll be the day. <laughs> yeah, that'll be the day. I Keep love it the, up. Uh, all right, you got it. Yeah, it's like uh, she goes, uh, "What'd you give for that thing?" He says, "You don't need to know everything, Carly Jean." Carla Jean says, I need to know that. He says, you keep running that mouth and I'm going to take you out in the back and screw you. And she goes, big talk. He's like, keep, keep it up. It up. Uh, and so, then she goes, fine, uh, I don't want to know. I don't even want to know where you've been all day. And he says, that'll work. Yeah. Uh, it's just like, they. it's one of those things where it's clear that their rapport is like, they do love each other and they're like playing games. There is respect there, but the shit that they're saying to each other is like, Fuck you, fuck you. But they're also like, yeah, but fuck you. Love you, love you. It's like I also, that kind of thing. Yeah, I get it. I I do think it's probably... I do think they both subscribe to a male-dominant relationship model. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think it's true to them being a rural Texas couple. But exactly. you never get the feeling that he doesn't listen to her, he steamrolls they, her, or anything like that. Yeah. But he likes to be the man and she's okay with that, you know, but that's fine. Yeah, I, I think in the end, they're both pretty satisfied with their life because yeah. I think one of the points of contention is that just like in Fargo, when it overreach, it's not like it's William H. Macy in Fargo because he's not attempting to overreach. He just finds a thing of money and thinks he can get away with it. Uh, yeah, it's, a it's simple different plan. from concocting a plan that's like, you're not prepared to organize and you just need the money because you think of yourself as a bigger man. He just came into some money and he's like, we could probably get away with this. Yeah. Uh, now, although also I think it mirrors the him shooting the pronghorn. Yeah. Because like you said, it's funny that you were like hunting for, I don't know, subsistence or that's not true. Like he lives in an apartment and he works a job as a welder. Yeah. I imagine he's hunting for recreation, which I yeah. am not coming down against, but symbolically speaking, because he's hunting for recreation or even subsistence, but the buck gets away and bleeds to death alone, it probably gets eaten by scavengers, which isn't a total waste, but symbolically it's a waste of the violence, if you follow me, and yeah. you can tell that he's upset about it. He wishes mm-hmm. he had, he said, keep still, because he wants to get one clean shot to the heart. Um 
I feel like it it raises the question, was it worth it? Or like, why'd you even, if if you're sad, why'd you even go hunting if you don't like hunting? And with the $2 million, you find yourself asking Llewellyn a lot, I think, did did you need the $2 million? You seemed happy. Right. You way seemed happy. Like before. This is way worse than before. And in fact, Carly Jean seems happy as well until she figures out, like, you're doing this thing and you're not telling me about it out of some, like, because something's, something's going yeah. on. And then when she learns what it is later, she's like, we don't need that. It's fine. Stop it. And he's just like, but then we'd be like, so good and happy right right and i think that's the american dream creeping in where it's just like yeah but it would just make a lot of problems go away but she i think they're kind of both up to this point had a tacit agreement of and i'll just be a ranch yeah. i'll just be a welder and a you know uh of x or a vet and you know like i'll i'll get i'll bring in the money and she'll be like i'll do all the typical you know like american housewife at the time and the things that like we would get with a rural texas uh, you know, yeah, marriage, right? Uh, but then she's like immediately, like, you're fucking shit up. I I don't need that, and uh, she, no one ever explicitly says it this much. But this is the kind of vibe that you get because they don't seem unhappy or like he right. just went out and stayed out late, and she gives him a little guff for it. But it's not like it's no, a they trust each other too, going yeah. out and drinking or but you know, also like what like, is ignoring it? What is uh, money if not the ultimate? existentialist nihilist symbol because it's right. like like you said the american dream but i think also meditate on the physical like stacks of paper in a bag means so much right now only because everyone around him agrees that it does a time will come in the future when that's just stacks of paper in right. a bag but he put every he put all his chips on the table for that right so uh, system this... because of faith in that system so at this point, and I kind of want to talk about that from Moss's perspective now, because uh, there's something that happens at the end of the sequence that is very telling of who he is. Because, yes, he does not know about the transponder at this point. And mm -hmm. later in the movie, there in the bag, there's a transponder that uh, allows Anton to find him who took the money. So as far as he's away, aware of it, I think he's about scot-free. Right. You know, like he does not need to go back. But he cannot sleep, so he fills up a water jug and returns to the crime scene because he's going to try to, if the uh, guy who was asking for water is still alive, he still kind of feels bad, uh, which is a nice little thing because it's not like the pronghorn where he's just like, ah, I'll just die and it's too much trouble to go like, put it out of his misery. He's like, I'm going to go and see if that guy, like I feel bad about making the choice of just leaving him because I was scared. I'm going to do the absolute worst thing I could ever possibly do, which is return to the crime scene and give this guy water just so that he at least although he might it's be able funny to you say that's the worst thing you could possibly do because of course a lot of good movies have mirroring right uh anton the whole reason tommy lee jones finally ends up at the same place at the same time as anton or near uh it's arguable but the closest he ever gets to anton is because he realizes he's talking to someone and goes but this guy obviously because this happened later he must have returned to the scene of the crime who would be so, like, have the brass balls to go immediately back to the scene of a crime they just committed? And he goes, mm -hmm. of course, the guy we're hunting, because he's yeah. fucking nuts. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so what happens after that is a truck uh, arrives, it sees Moss, and chases him down. So, and so this is the Mexican cartel, clearly. 
they're you know checking in of why none none of their dudes have checked in because they've been dead for about 12 hours and uh they see him chase him toward a i love that shot i don't know i don't even know if it's cg yet or anything shooting the dog the no 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 chasing down he's running away kind of like uh north by northwest yeah and there's a thunderstorm like yeah the lightning is amazing that must be cg because it's just too perfect of a moment uh because it's there and it it's like perfectly continuity at, at it. And it's, I don't know. It's something, uh, if they got that actually, it's just like fucking a, that's Barton Fink level luck with the, the bird dropping into the water right at the end. It's just like, well, you might as well just be lucky then because you clearly just get lucky all the time. Speaking of luck, this whole conversation's making me realize how lucky we are that, and knock on wood, I hope I am not the source that like shitty MRAN cells have never latched on to Anton Sugar, you know, because they got the Joker. Like yeah. Anton Sugar seems like it totally would have been an uh, oversaturated Halloween costume, but not yet, and hopefully never. I think it's because there's rage in other characters. He is so sterile. Sugar is so sterile. Yeah, that it's hard to love him. He's the ice because man, he just bro. feels like he just feels like the Grim Reaper. He yep. does. And yet again, I think the film constantly reminds us. And yet he is not literally the Grim Reaper. Right. Yeah. But All he right. likes to, th- I think he thinks he is. Though. Are we at the gas station now? Uh, or well, you want to, you don't want to skip I just want to finish. This is not symbology, river. but yeah. I just want to finish just but so it people kicks know. Ass. It slaps. Doing, it's a, it's a, it slaps. <laughs> it's a pretty impressive, impressive thing. Although trigger warning, a dog gets shot. Uh, he gets hit in the shoulder, uh, and then falls down a ravine, jumps into the river to lose him. They send a uh, pit bull after him. When he returns to shore, he takes out his gun, disassembles it, blows through the barrel to make sure that there's no moisture where the contact so is going to hit the pin. Takes yeah. out another bullet, rubs it down so there's no moisture on that, puts single bullet back in, cocks it, and at the last second as the job's about to tear his... The dog's about to tear his The dog is mid-air at his eye level. It shoots the, the dog jump. in the head. Yeah, it's and in it's like the middle of the deadly One jump. split second later, he's done. One miss, he's done. He took <laughs> yeah. exactly the right amount of time to survive. <laughs> right. It's very cool. It's what uh, we used to say when we played Goldeneye. You got to take your time, but in take a hurry. Your time and, take, take your time, time in a hurry. hurry. That's right. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> yeah. uh, so yeah, and then he picks, and then it cuts to him picking the buckshot out and of I'm his shoulder. Sorry, but yeah, but you you brought up the pattern, but it's so true. I didn't notice all the paralleling between Anton and him, and it's and it's mm-hmm. so obvious. I kick myself for not, but I think it's because the tension is so good in this film. You can you just. Be forgiven to be stories. like, I'm just in the story, man. I'm not looking yeah. at the shit. Yeah. But when you but are watching it with a critical eye, it's not subtle. Um, he's picking buckshot from a soldier. It's and not Anton killing, who fired. Well, he kills a dog and then it, he kills a deer. It cuts to Anton Chigurh killing a human. He kills a dog. It cuts to Anton Chigurh killing a human. It's mm-hmm. like Anton Chigurh thinks ob- he treats women like objects, man. Yep. Yeah, uh, he really, really is a psychopath. Uh, so I also thought that it's funny. Another luck thing that happens to the fucking Coen Brothers for some reason is that uh, it, during this point in the movie, uh, right around him here, they had already gotten this stuff. He or he's only his arm is fucked up the whole film. And as you read the trivia about uh, it was the same shoulder that. 
uh-huh. Josh Brolin had like hurt off screen doing his life. Like I think he fell For off real. like a yeah. like a like a like he fell off like a ATV or something like that. I wow. don't know, just doing stuff. So he had a massive shoulder shoulder injury, but at the same time that his character also had one, so he doesn't have to use it in the film. Right, you're uh, like any other kind of injury so would have cost us thousands of dollars. Yeah, it's like, imagine you're a filmmaker, like you're the Coen brothers, you get a call, oh, Josh Brolin is really hurt. Oh, oh really? Oh, fuck. fuck, is that going to set us back? It's the same shoulder. It's the same shoulder. Yeah, you can do everything, you just can't use that shoulder. Well, our movie's about a guy... Who, can't who use has that a shoulder, shoulder who can't use that shoulder anyway. So I guess, yeah, he's fine. We'll just uh, Wait, take some painkillers. Can we still be nihilists considering yeah. this is happening? This is yeah. keeps, like the world keeps gifting us random uh, shit. Yeah, Jim Caviezel just got struck yeah. by lightning while filming Passion of the Christ. Right. I, we might be wrong. Yeah. Uh, one thing that's not doesn't work out for them so much is that when they're doing, I think the I think this sequence or the sequence of uh, like getting all the Mexican cartel stuff out in this area. Uh-huh. That was shot in Malta, Texas, which is where they shot the, uh, There Will Be Blood. And it's just a hilarious, and at the same, literal exact the same time. It's just a little, like a few miles down the road. Their crews would see each other, yeah. They crews would see each other, and they didn't know what they're filming, but they knew, you know, obviously they probably talked because they were like, all right, we, you, are you going to make sound or something like that? But they didn't talk too much because one day the Coen brothers came out side to shoot a sequence and then all of a sudden just huge plumes of oil burning clouds just loom over their area because that was the sequence that uh paul thomas anderson was shooting where it was the explosions of the oil rig so it's like all right so we have to cancel our i bet like no one sent a pa over to tell them yeah they had to give them money because you're like you just fucked our shoot day or is that the kind of thing that like if you because they have nothing to do with each other. It's I not, assume it's your people studios. talk to my people, right? Right. The studios but will work it out. If you don't, and that happens, does that like is there? Do you just suck up that loss? Because that's what we have to do when we go out there and we like right. we did everything right, but for some reason there was like a big car crash and they shut down this location, and so we can't get to our parking lot or something like that. And it's just like one of those acts of God that you mm-hmm. can do anything about, and so the so the studio just absorbs that money or that loss. I wonder if. They were like hated each other after that, and it was like, why well, I, I oughta. But anyway, that's just another random trivia that I thought was interesting to realize that also another great film shooting literally in exact place yeah. that year just happened to be right across the way, ruining each other's footage. Um, uh, anyway, so yeah, then he arrives at the Texaco and he talks to the shopkeep, which I don't know how much you probably want to read some quotes from it because I love how he aggressively talks to the cashier. Like picking apart his language and his accent, and he's like asking threatening questions, like that your house out there back. He makes fun of him that he's he married into the job. Ever were asked these questions, you'd be like, "Are you trying to murder me? Is this like a murder? Is this the preamble to a murder?" Well, I think the is best line is, be? uh, he asks, "Is there something wrong with anything? Is that what you're asking me? Mm-hmm. Is there something yeah. wrong with anything?" I like that too because he's what's the most you ever lost in a coin toss he flips the coin and says I didn't put anything up on it and in his response is yes you have you've been putting up for it your whole life you've been putting it up your whole life yeah uh, meaning betting it I just think it's an important difference meaning you've been putting it you've been betting it not you've been putting up with it yeah like there's this uh, I think Shigur believes that he's this kind of force that tries to uh, equalize 
And if there's a birth, there's a death. And he just sees of himself as the second part of that altercation or that interaction. So he's that's what he's saying, I think, with that line is you've been putting up for it your whole life, meaning you've already bought, you've already purchased the deal. You're already in the contract. It's just whether or not you're going to lose a bet and finish that. Like I take it you, more as him saying that everyone alive is could die at any moment. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think, yeah. Yeah, there, there's no special protection, and therefore, at any moment in life, you're betting your whole life. And I sort of get the vibe from that scene that he kills that guy because he finds him pathetic, because he mm -hmm. feels that in a world where you could die at any moment and you're betting your life at every second, yeah. you married into owning a gas station. But it's mm -hmm. like, fuck you, Anton Sugar. What if this guy gets his joy not from work but from other things? You know, right. um, so I still think Anton Chigurh's perceptions are flawed, but it's interesting to me that, and of course this is the beginning of the system, um, he puts faith in a system, which is the stupid coin system. Right. And But he truly believes in it, because in this scene he says, call it, I can't call it for you, it wouldn't be fair. And I love how efficient that is. Those are the rules of his system. Like, we get it, that's the game. Right. Um, and of course that's why he doesn't kill this guy, but he does scare the shit out of him just to make him, I don't know, suffer that day. And, uh, the only thing, yeah, the other thing I really got from that scene was, do you remember, uh, the recent Joaquin Phoenix, what's it called? You were never really here. Yes. Yeah, I saw it. Him crushing the green jelly bean, which they used in the trailer and seems to be like an important shot from that film. Didn't mean anything to me unless it's like. He's like a hammer. He crushes things, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I just wanted to compare that to in this scene. It's so much better and more meaningful, and it's such a simple change. Anton Chigurh puts a crumpled up plastic wrapper of sunflower seeds on the counter, and they both stare at it as it silently unfolds, which gives you like this coiled snake imagery instead that's like it's building, it's going to get you. It's just amazing to me how similar the shot can be and one to me is devoid of meaning unless it went over my head and the other one is like this is working so well hey gang quick intermission here in an extra long episode of cohen brothers brothers to uh tell you about a chance for you to support the show while benefiting yourself greatly we have partnered with what i am referring to as the uh, Criterion collection of streaming services called Mubi.com, M-U-B-I.com. And this is a service where film experts curate films for you 30 at a time on a 30-day rota rotating cycle. There's a new film added every day, and you can view the films on desktop, mobile, or tablets. And what's great about it is you don't spend time clicking around, trying to pick, inundated with millions of options, and you're going to see a lot of great classic films that you know were vetted by a team of film buffs to be among some of the best films in the world. Abe, uh, I know you got the page up. Can you list some of the movies they have available right this second? Yeah, there's a lot of international films this month, uh, notably a lot of French films. One that I wanted to point out in particular, which is uh, Claire Denise. They have two of her films, Bastards and White Material, that just launched. And uh, man, they're really, she's a great filmmaker, really good stuff. 
So you can see that stuff. I highly recommend that. Great. What I, just list some titles, whether you've seen them or not, so people can get a feel. Yeah, there's a bunch of other films, too, because like you said, they added one a day. I saw Fugue, Sunset Edge, Fatima, Gloria, The Creeping Garden. Um, a lot of really good stuff. There you go. And this is just as of right now. What's really great about it is it changes constantly, and yet there's it's all killer, no filler. So... Uh, log on. You can get a 30-day free trial and support the show. We do benefit, as do you, by going to mubi.com slash brothers. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash brothers for a 30-day free trial and to show your... Shh. Edit this. And to show your support for the beans. Yeah, it's because it's all about the setup and the framework. Yeah. The framework being that you, this character thinks what they think. I think there's something powerful in the when we're trying to remove the veil from Anton's eyes, uh, in terms of like he's kind of he's a, he's a really fucked up figure and he's actually wrong about his methodology, because he believes that there's some kind of purchase power uh, with a life and he believes that he's I don't know if he believes he's I think he believes that the only purchase power is if you can get away with killing someone or not and since he's a psychopath he enjoys killing. Um, so right, because he's, he's not like he flips a coin lives. every time he shoots someone on the street. Right, he does he what he do needs he... to do. It's he a weird fucking ritual. Coin. Yeah, which I think is the point. Is he says it with such confidence that you're like, well, maybe in this weird universe he's right. I mean, the things he says seem to have the weight of like the film behind them, but there mm. are clues. that's like no, everyone just no. operates in the reality they think is real, but they're mm. all wrong. Like it's in it, their pattern is always in, shown to be delusional or inconsistent at some point, even Anton. Right. Yeah, and so all the previous wisdom you had uh, may not be relevant in this new country. That's why it's not for old men. Got it. Right. Um, so yeah, uh, he. So he. This is the only character I think that he doesn't. One of the only ones that he doesn't kill. Yeah. When he does that, because you can infer, or at least there's off-screen stuff, but. Almost everyone that he interacts with in the movie I was just saying, dies. Yeah, other than the kids at the end. Other than the kids at the end, this text coworker, and I think the woman at the motel, who is another. Well, what we're coming, we're coming up to, and you know, he does shoot the clerk at the motel. Uh, the woman, the woman who's like sassy, and he's yeah, he kills her. I think. Let's keep going. I don't think so. Um, but okay, yes, yeah, so let's keep going. So there's a sequence where Moss returns home, talks to his wife about his injuries. Anything there? I think that's just Moss realizing that Moss biding his time before he realizes that he's honest with her, him. though. I think that's where he's we, honest with her. That's, that's where we get true. the impression that they have actually have a good relationship, yeah, because they he actually comes he comes to the fact of what's going on, and there's no Sends real to... there, but he's like, I did get shot at. They could find my car sends her to mother-in-law's house in odessa yeah uh so next sequence is anton meets some comrades and inspects the crime scene uh fights finds moss's truck and takes the vin number plate off the door and then he gets a receiver uh from the the comrades but then shoots them in the head the money has a tracker in it yeah it has a tracker yeah and he has the receiver so so now it beeps. Now we have the system yeah. where it will beep more rapidly uh, at the closer he gets to the actual uh, satchel because in the money there's a transponder. Yeah, which, yeah we didn't again, actually Moss mention not, yeah, yeah. the year is 1980. So it's like a big fatty, the, like you'd have a cell yeah. phone in a briefcase. 
Mm-hmm. It's a big fatty transponder with one dot on it, and it beeps cl- more when you get closer. Right. Here's my thing. I don't understand why he shoots these guys in the head. I think that he, uh, I think he kind of finds it an insult, or maybe he's just once again a psychopath who likes killing. Yeah. He doesn't do the coin trick. He just kills them. Uh, we don't get. And or clearly, he, he they weren't. He doesn't they, say like yeah. I killed those guys because they didn't deserve a coin toss because they're already evil, or I like to kill them. That's why I killed them. Or this is clearly uh, they're not helping and they'll get in my way, so it'll just be easier if I kill them. But it does cause later a lot of problems for Anton Shakur. Well, spoiler alert: he. I want not all the details, but the reason this is confusing to me is he will later claim, and eventually he just becomes a rogue agent who has decided to keep the money and fuck off and kill whoever stands in his way but he claims that the the reason is because they offended him by Mm. hiring other people to go on the job as well and my point is we know that he doesn't know that yet because we see when he learns that so why does he kill these two guys but as Woody Harrelson will later say sometimes he will just kill people because they did something that he thinks is a breach of etiquette but you wouldn't know you know, like you wouldn't necessarily know what it is, what you did wrong. I think Anton, I think it's kind of, I think he does know. I think that we can assume that it's atypical for him to be working with these two guys, which is, that's all Steven Root saying, like, we're going to get Anton there and my guys there. And then yeah. they'll figure it out and he can, they can liaise. And he so can maybe that's it. the moment where he decides he's keeping the enough. money. I don't yeah. know. And then yeah. Woody Harrelson is sent to as like a cleanup crew, right? Root as well, but, but also uh, he does. Stephen Root will refer to him as he's gone rogue. So the thing I picked up this time, which I didn't on previous viewings, is I'm pretty sure Anton, after a certain point, is like, "Yeah, fuck my employers. I'm going to keep the money." And so in another way, he's similar to Llewellyn. For a guy who seems dead inside with no heart, a lot of money tempted him. So like, there's some kind mm-hmm. of feeling in there. Greed is a feeling, you know. Mm-hmm. He believes in some kind of. I wonder what happy life Anton Chigurh dreams of having with two million dollars. Yeah, I you know, don't like know. what could what, he do like, where to would enjoy he go? life? What would he do? Right? Yeah. We don't know anything about this guy, which maybe is what are his way, hobbies, which we can't answer. <laughs> yeah. The next sequence is we finally get Tommy Lee Jones in the flesh this time. Uh, he leaves his home briefly, talking to his wife, packs up the horse trailer, drives off, to, uh, drives to the burn car of the road, which is the road, which is the car that we saw Anton Shakur like kill the guy in when he was acting like a cop car. Yeah. So he ditched the cop. Yeah. So he he just keeps accumulating cars and burning them. Um, yes. Because it's it's clear that he jumped from the police car, took this guy's car, which none of us saw, and then at some point found another car, killed probably another person to get that car and burned that car. Uh, so he's just constantly just jumping cars. Uh, his dimwitted deputy, played by the phenomenal Garrett Delahunt kindly yeah. comes up and participates in a reenactment of the relationship between the cops and Fargo. <laughs> I actually don't, but I actually think that Wendell, uh, Wendell yeah, is smarter than Francis's Garrett deputy. Dillahunt That's does for not sure. Have a, yeah. Like a buffoonery. He kind of, he is kind of a little bit like, uh, like dopey. I don't know. He's yeah, but they're both inferring very good. Like they're doing tracking and That's inferring what, very interesting things out of just being, at a crime scene within seconds. Wendell like, is a good detective, good. but he's still 
dopey like his personality yeah, he, he makes jokes invites and ridicule does bits yeah he, he um it, it's it yeah their interaction is it's and things that bell says often go over his head which is yeah. funny because then he'll immediately go but i put these two things together so they're probably here and you're like good job mm-hmm. wendell good mm-hmm. detective work yeah it's very linear yeah. sheriff well age will flatten a man out wendell yes sir yeah so they we kind of jump ahead and they um they, they find Llewellyn's the truck, scene, yep. And they inspect the bodies and that's where they really know like they I I thought that that it, it's obvious that from one look that it was like okay so this is like a cartel thing gone bad but they get like and then two people came and then they got shot. Yeah. Like so they're like looking at fresher bodies versus decomposing bodies. They're looking at foot tracks and they know that Someone was there and left, and there's probably another person there earlier who left. Yeah. Like, they they are inferring it through like a lot of different like a skill set that is impressive, like frankly yes. impressive. Although um, at the same time, this is one of the times I realized they are kind of hearkening back to mm-hmm. not everything about the good old days is necessarily good. Like change can be good because this yeah. is also where he's like, why 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 do you suppose their bodies aren't at sheriff? supposedly a coyote won't eat a mexican and you're like all right tommy lee jones all right jeez man there's this uh back and forth between wendell and bell that is pretty good you know there might not have been no money bell says that's possible but you don't believe it no probably i don't yeah well it's a mess ain't it sheriff if it ain't It'll do till the mess gets here. I just think that that's, that's in the very trailer, Cohen-esque. I think. Yeah. <laughs> but I also just love the way of you don't believe it? No. Probably I don't. Yeah. Which is another way of saying like yeah, like Unlikely, it's another way of possible, him saying like yeah. I'm I'm keeping clear eyes, you right. know, I'm keeping clear eyes when I look at things. But there's something in me that's telling me uh it might there there probably was money, but something's weird, so I don't yeah. think there there wasn't money. Yeah. Uh, so like I I think that that's like that's something that goes back into just what you said about no country like he's well there probably is a score because no one would do this horrible thing uh, unless there's money involved but the reality is that that is true but also there's this other guy Anton who does kill for things that aren't necessarily money Uh, and he's fear that's why he says probably I don't is he's fearful of like well, there's this new brand of killer that I've heard about that I, makes no sense to me, and I yeah. really hope that that isn't evolved. But it, it might is. be, it might not. Yeah, but it's just a good way. Of, probably I don't is a pro- yeah. is a great way of saying that. Like I'm unsure of everything, yeah. but I have a, my old. I'm starting to let, not trust my like impulses and my usual kind of right. thoughts on this, but because they're becoming wrong, but I still have them. Yeah. Yeah. So then there's a sequence of basically detectives chasing detectives because Anton is also a detective. Uh, it's because, ba- like, you get him going to Lou Allen's apartment, and without speaking, you can tell he knows, like, he gathers enough information to know where to go next. Mm-hmm. And of course, the sheriff and deputy will also come here following Anton and figure out where to go next. And it's interesting how, for the rest of the movie, the sheriff's plot is essentially. He has a case. He's always one step behind. The case wraps up, and he never solved it. Yeah, I love yeah. the um, I love the bit about him taking the fridge, going to the fridge the and milk. getting milk. Yeah, because it gives in the later scene when uh, when Bell slash uh, Tommy Lee Jones 
finds the milk and notices that it's got moisture, that clearly someone was here before them. He goes, well, that's frustrating, ain't it? What? The milk's still sweating. Oh, and oh, we just missed him. Oh, Sheriff, we got to circulate yeah. this. What do we yeah. circulate, Wendell? Seeking a man who has recently drunk milk? Oh, Sheriff, that is aggravating. Well, I'm ahead of you there. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of them both looking into the TV and the camera showing a reflection of them? They, the shot is mimicked twice, once with Anton and once with uh, Bell. What do you uh-huh. think that means? Is it just uh, Bell sitting in and saying, like, this man probably drank milk, and it, if I was oh. here, I would be able to see the reflection of that man and knew who that man was, or does it have any yeah. other, like, You were talking about the sassy lady now at the trailer park receptionist. He yeah. doesn't yeah. kill her. He kills the receptionist at the hotel later, though, mm-hmm. um, just indiscriminately off camera, yeah, which is like, another clue. There's only, like, three or four people he doesn't kill. In the but, movie. yeah, she's too sassy to kill. Um She's also the exact kind of woman that the Coen brothers love to put in a bit part exactly like this. She's so Coen brothers. Um, I wonder if she was in the book or they were like, let us do one of our little things here. Um, Mm -hmm. I did. I wrote amazing shot next to it. Like the TV shots. Again, they're so transparent that when they even slightly do anything with style or like artistic voice coming through you immediately snap to attention and go well this is something and the tv shot especially with the repetition you're like well that's something uh and i was thinking that it it's funny that we recently covered synecdoche new york because i also think existentialism is about real your your relationship with the reality as you build it and simulacra to use the synecdoche mm-hmm. lingo and how our simulacra interact with other people's simulacra and the simulacra we've built of what we think society is and cultural norms are, even though you can never have enough input to have an exactly average understanding of what sure. everyone else thinks. Um, so I just think as dumb as it sounds, cause like, I don't know, it's a reflection and that's dumb, but it is a little spicier when you consider it's a reflection specifically on a TV, which is also the tube that's in our house that feeds us all of the information we use to build our perception of the world. Oh, that's interesting. Like, it's the only reference in this movie I can find to media. And I feel like almost they wanted to mention TV and film because they're acutely aware of their part in shaping what a healthy swath of people think the world is like, you know? Yeah, and... Yeah. Their yeah. movies are and part of that. They they themselves are archetypes. There might be something there. I don't know. Did you it's, have a, a, a take as well? I didn't have anything else other than just like having that moment where it's beautiful. looks at something going, <laughs> yeah. there was a horrible monster here and I'm yeah. occupying their same space, drinking their milk, looking at the same thing they looked. If Do you I think... knew what they looked like so I could kill them. Do you think Wendell leaning down to look at the circular mark left by the lock from when Anton broke into Lou Ellen's trailer on the wood paneling is a reference to when the biker from hell looks at the word fart in uh, Raising Arizona? Oh, that's funny. That's funny. It's true that we both have two different home invasions for information. Yeah. Uh, no, but, but yes. Yeah, yeah. In that they both serve the same purpose of like, they're both there to understand what's going on at this right. area. 
I think with the the biker, it's more of just he's taken by surprise that he sees the word fart. <laughs> sure. But he wasn't like looking at the wall to be like, is there a no, clue? No, no, is there a clue? Whereas, fart. you know, Bell is clearly going like, well, s- but yeah. This is a foreshadowing of like some kind of device that he uses yes. to get into houses, and we already have seen it. So, yeah. But it is funny how learning. the structural twists at the end almost seem even more shocking because of how they embrace mm-hmm. traditional film grammar so hard through most yeah. of the movie. So shots like the TV shot definitely stand out, yeah. They stand out because they, we linger on them as well, so that begs the question. The next sequence is Moss checking into a motel. He looks for the lowest-rate room, scopes out the place, and puts a satchel on the ceiling vent, which I thought was pretty clever because he pushes it all the way to the edge, right? Um, which is would be hard to see. Um, but of course, but not impossible. Super intelligent in this movie. Everything doing... we do leaves a trail. Is one of the other yeah, exactly. messages. Yeah, It doesn't matter how smart you are. There's if someone's on hot on your trail and really good at like this kind of job, they're gonna catch you. And I think to... also that goes hand in hand in the existentialist <laughs> sense. Yes, we're all connected because we exist within a closed system. Yes, everything you do won't definitely but has the chance to affect something or someone around you profoundly in ways that are entirely unpredictable Mm -hmm. welcome to life that's why nihilism (laughs) right right uh so anton looks at the phone call like after getting the um uh from his house after getting his phone bill uh, we get a sequence where he calls a woman which is uh moss's uh mother-in-law we don't know that yet but he, because he gets no information from her, because she's like, "Why would he be here?" kind of thing. But obviously, if you look at, I actually stopped. If you look at the calls, there's several calls by that, and they're also the longest calls. So you can infer that Anton was like, "Here's a person who's close to them," because they talk for like 30 minutes every now and then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously, that was uh, Carl. That was Carla Jean. That was yeah. him. Anton so, also shoots at a raven and misses, which I think is another clue of like. Yeah, he's think, like the Grim Reaper, but he's not, still a human. He can miss. He can miss, and yeah. he but he just keeps driving. He doesn't give a fuck. Killer, yeah. so he does. <laughs> yeah. he does hit. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, that's what that that's going. What's going on with Anton as well? He goes Moscow's to a clothing store to get socks for his foot wound, which is just one of those because we come to the same clothing store later at the end of the film, and I, it's just one of those nice things that I understand that it was probably already in the book but also perfectly Coen Brothers-esque because it's just like, why would, he needs clothes twice in the movie. Might right. as well make it the same clothing store. Why? Is it a joke? There's no joke. It's just one of those well, things where it's just like, Yeah, although wow. they do add the second time, maybe I think the oh, only yeah. exactly. joke in the film, the only thing that is a joke. He comes into the clothing store completely naked, I think, except for his boots. Oh, he's got a medical gown. Oh yeah, medical gown and boots. And the guy's like, how are those boots holding up? Because he bought them at the store. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty good. Well, can I help you? And he asks, just because the guy seems so calm, is it regular for someone to come in compl- to your store completely naked? And he goes, nope. This is the first time, or I forget what he says. Like, oh, right. nope. It's pretty unusual. But he's still like is calm. He just refuses right. it's just to one acknowledge. Of those yeah, it's like a joke. Yeah, it's like just. We have to I, stop, peel back and look at the strangeness of this event. I really so, doubt that dialogue sequence is from the book verbatim, from the book, but maybe. Yeah, it seems like a... It feels so co Just yeah. like playful. It's not even a joke it's as much as just... But while he's there, comic relief. If I'm, unless I'm wrong, correct me, he also buys a shotgun uh, and yes. saws it off. Uh, that happens later because I want to okay. throw in one thing. Oh, go ahead, go he, ahead. He returns to the hotel that night 
to find someone scoping out his place and he realizes that one of the like a truck very like the one that he was if not the yes. same that shot him with the buckshot earlier in the film uh is somewhere is now at, at the place so they're yes. like they're somehow tracking him and he doesn't understand that but he pays the cabbie extra to take him to another motel um so he's going to stay at another motel that night but he's going to come back to the previous motel because he has to get the money but he's going to do it in a clever way, which I thought was interesting. Yes. Uh, but then Anton is well. The clever Adelia. way is, or he just shoots a, the crow. He buys a second room that's adjacent that he knows the vent attaches to, and then yeah. he tries to yank the thing through the vent from the opposite side. At the mm-hmm. same time, Anton is arriving. Uh, but yeah, then Moscow's and buys the shotgun, uh, and he also makes a grabber uh, so he can retrieve the money. He grabs the money. It shares the wall, which is kind of clever because all he had to yeah. do is go to the. He's like, what's the opposite of that the one I just got? Because he knows they share a vent. So right. that's pretty clever. But doesn't matter because Anton hears a rece- receiver beep while he's driving through. So he knows he's getting closer to the satchel. And so now we're in the back at the Regal Motel. And it's intercut with Moss building a pole to grab the money and stuff like that. And uh, it doesn't matter because Anton has a magic shotgun mm-hmm. that can fire hugely powerful shotgun blasts with no right. buckshot recoil. The buckshot can be blocked from recoiling by a shower right. curtain and it's absolutely silent. It sounds like pew, like a mouse sneezing. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Silent <laughs> shotgun. Uh, so he does this typical thing of using pressure-based instruments. Well, and of course, these, the yeah. Coens are doing their usual thing of let's find a way to do it different because in mm-hmm. the sound design in this sequence footsteps are louder than the gunshots. Oh, yeah. We and have that's high, because and they're more important yeah. to the tension, you know? The, uh, <laughs> sound, the sound in this movie is stellar. It's so... Watch it and think about it if you have any interest yeah. in it because it's one of those things that sound... It doesn't matter to you because as long as you don't notice it, it's doing a good job. But the sound in this is very hypersensitive. Like, anytime we see dead bodies, we see flies in the camera because they like release yeah. flies and stuff like that and you hear every single one of those flies like and of course there's no so score visceral. anywhere yeah yeah and i think it really adds to like why i think they do that why it's important is it really adds to the fact that w- once again we don't have a, a very much score at all right and how can we make music, sound still pull its weight like the landscapes storytelling need to be wise, interesting yeah. but also it's very off-putting and very um uh chilling to yeah. have your normally quiet areas be very loud like the wind is loud and stuff like that right uh it's i think they also just want to find a way to use the sound space if you're not going to use score don't do nothing you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. um so that when you take it away it really feels scary like make there be a reason that it's not just you couldn't afford the rights to score but uh yeah i also it just blows my mind how a well-edited the sound design in a well-edited sequence is also a system that has no inherent meaning that you build the rules to it's another present you expect suspension of disbelief or faith in that system and mm-hmm. then you give a cue and everyone's allowed to dissolve the system and it doesn't matter anymore right amazing it's, uh, another tool <laughs> yeah. in your toolbox and and it mirrors the themes of the film yeah right 
so when he gets to the vent, they do this twice in this movie, by the way, is they kind of give you yep. a red herring. You, or think it's like it's, the, you think, oh, it's the standoff. Oh, he's, Anton's going to yeah. come in and he's going to kill him because we don't have or they're the gonna information. they're going to fight, yeah. And so Anton goes to the original uh, Room. Yep. apartment, which is now filled with the Mexican cartel people. He kills them. Uh, but then he also, and then I love how, like, this is the kind of stuff that I know what you mean when you talk about, like, MRIs adopting, like, the Joker and stuff. Like, he does very, like, peculiar, cool stuff. Like, he takes off his shoes so right. he can be silent. He's doing a lot of, like, really smart things that when you first witness them, you go, what the fuck is he doing? And then when you see him in action, you go, that's why he took off his shoes and socks so that he wouldn't mm. make a sound and stuff like that. I think that that stuff's kind of cool. And yeah. I can see why you can make uh, you can make someone like Anton Chigurh seem awesome when in reality it's yeah it's a cool very effective thing that he did but like let's not right let's not get excited about the character and know. this is of course when uh, he realizes and we also realize that the reason like you were you almost thought Anton had caught up with him before so you're confused for mm -hmm. a second because Anton's catching up with him twice. And then you realize, oh, no, those are the cartel guys. They also were given a transponder. So Anton now knows that the mysterious organization, we don't care, that Stephen yeah, Root represents yeah. that is running all this, cares about the $2 million enough and trusts Anton little enough that they have multiple groups working on it. They gave transponders out to multiple groups because they just want whoever gets Llewellyn to get Llewellyn. They want the money, yeah. Well, it turns out this, again, you you hardly could have predicted this. Like, I get his logic, but it's very tenuous. For some reason, this is deeply insulting to Anton. Now everyone must die. <laughs> this is right. the moment where he decides right. that, yeah. And you mentioned it before. I love how they show Anton noticing the scratches inside the mm -hmm. vent and then later when the money is gone like he can see yeah. all of the remnant kind of like the shoe scuffs on the ground in the wake of the aftermath of the murder of the deputy. or the burned out cars or the yep. symbol of the lock that always ends up on the opposite wall yep. of any room and Anton it's, it's also into. just a beautiful shot because you have to it's it was probably tricky to light because you have to like yeah. backlight the scratches so you can see the emulsion of the uh s you know stainless steel dip and have you know like a, a yeah like bevel to it and it's mm -hmm. like hard to get that very nuance but it totally as soon as you see it you go oh someone had something heavy in there and yanked it out and it scratched the the base of the vent and that's yeah. just like a very hard thing to sometimes you write that in a screenplay and then you go like how are we going to accomplish that it's not like it's an effect it's no, just it's really obvious really it's not hard it's really to obvious follow, yeah. very very good uh very good insert then a magical um, old black man the only black person in the movie says one line that of course is like a spooky premonition yeah. <laughs> he says ah my name may be bagger vance but no he says you should not a hitchhike hitchhiking is dangerous which of yeah. course is just telling him you had a life you're yeah. trying you're trying to hitch a ride on this story that didn't involve you that's way bigger than you you're gonna get smashed mm -hmm. man and of course he does yeah and uh, if you guys don't already know of it, it's kind of one of those scenes that is just about uh, the word sonder, which yeah. I won't define, but just look it up, S-O-N-D-E-R, and that's exactly what they're talking about here. Um, the next sequence is Root and Harrelson meeting. Uh, so Introduces Woody, a uh, Woody Harrelson, yeah. Yeah, Woody whose name Allen. is Wells in the movie. And he's so we have two Mr. Anton. W's in this movie. 
Yeah, a lot of them. Garrett Delahunt, famously Mr. W on Deadwood. Oh, yeah. yeah. Francis Walcott. Uh, yeah. So, presumably, Root is behind the deal with the Mexicans and Anton has gone rogue. This is oh, okay. Now I'm going to stop you just for a second. Cause, context. Uh, before we move on, yeah, just to jump back on, I my mind is blown on how effective and fresh and yet simple it is to fade to a shot that's already panning up the side of a building with the sound really loud in the mix of an elevator going ding, 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 ding. Mm-hmm. You know that there's someone in the in an elevator we care about, even though the shot does not include any image of an elevator. It's a shot of a building, and it's just panning up. Like, the, the synesthesia of it all, it reminded me very much of how effective the Barton Fink fade from New York to L.A. is. Because it, it, this is also a fade, where it's like, fade to... And sequence of shots that express a guy's going up in an elevator, but in an, in a combination, you've never seen that exact combination before. It's nothing, but it's everything. All right, please continue. Yeah, yeah, it's nothing and it's everything. <laughs> it's just like in uh, Hot Fuzz, him yep. switching from one office to another, that little montage. It's nothing, but it's everything, yeah. Right, right. Uh, so... The story with these characters is just we 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 get um, kind of validation if you're ahead of the curve or it's the first time you really pieced it together that Anton is going rogue because not a lot of conversations have been had about right. it. It's mostly just being inferred. And I love uh, – and so he's hiring uh, – so Stephen Root, who doesn't have a name in the movie, is just the man who hires Wells. And Wells, who's uh, Woody Harrelson, is going to murder – Anton Chigurh, because he doesn't, because he's gone rogue. Oh, I counted the floors of this building from the street, and, well, one's missing. An attempt at humor, I see. What do you think that was? Uh, I think that Woody's character is probably unfamiliar with the tradition people have of omitting the 13th floor. Uh, Right. You know what I mean? And I thought it was a reference yet again to... His expectation of reality is that a bunch of grown adults who build a building would just label the floors in order. Stephen Root's expectation of reality is that that must be a joke because how could you be a full-grown man and not know the 13th floor yeah. thing? And if you even if you don't know, why would you think that's important enough to bring up? It's just showing that they're operating from different sets of reality. Like mm-hmm. also, I agree. their understanding about Anton is interesting because you can tell that woody fears him and yet he still takes the job because he's like well even you know yeah he is kind of like the grim reaper like he doesn't dumb down how scary anton is but he's like but you know if i catch him sleeping and shoot him in the head he would die (laughs) that's sort of where he's at with it yeah and he's like the way the world works as far as i am concerned is i can kill this man right so Uh, this is the midpoint time wise I just like to point that out sometimes. Oh, yeah. So Moss checks into a new hotel and gives the attendant mm-hmm. money to call him if any men check into the hotel that night. And it, for the second time in the movie, he's plagued by thoughts of how they found him. So he wakes up and he doesn't go to bed. He checks the satchel and now we finally get the transponder uh, reveal is in yeah. there. And he's like, fuck. Well, and we knew, noticed, but Llewellyn knows yeah. now. So he noticed the beeps getting uh, more rapid and he calls the front desk, no answer, which is a clear indication that 
it's happening right now. Something is happening right now. The because she said I'll be here or something yeah, I'll like call that. You. Yeah, I'll call you. He says oh, here's a bunch of money because he has a lot of money. And he says call, call me, me if any man. Dick. <laughs> yeah, enters yeah. the hotel. And it actually says any swinging dick. But yeah. you know that's it's Texas. Yeah. Uh, so he knows that it's he immediately gets paranoid, and he gets a shotgun. And Anton dims the hallway lights uh, first off, and then he also walks by, like, because he walked by to dim the lights, because Anton already is two steps ahead. He knows that it's very possible that Moss can see his shadow underneath the door. Uh, Anton, but I, I will say I don't know why he didn't take the initiative and fire through the door immediately. Uh, because I don't think Moss is the kind of thing who just a guy who just assumes. He thought, what, what he, if it's a bellboy? Right. What if I accidentally kill a bellboy? Anton is the predator. Whereas he Anton knows would be like, is. yes, kill the bellboy. That doesn't matter. Maybe I yeah. can just wait him out, and if I don't shoot, this won't happen. He won't happen. shoot, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like when you're a prey animal, and you decide, yeah. should I hide here, or should I run? You know, it's that right. kind of or thing. Or am I truly cornered, and it's time to fight, yeah. but I usually don't know don't what he knows. There. I don't know and then of course exactly where I am, or if, you know. An epic nighttime streets of Texas gunfight ensues. Mm-hmm. That is uh, every inch as badass as Albert Finney with a cigar and a Tommy gun in Miller's Crossing. It's well, just you thought, I wrote that down too because yeah. did you you thought of the same thing because when Ma, so Anton blasts the door open the lock and then Moss fires at the door but he's mm-hmm. like now terror he's bleeding terribly yeah uh, and he jumps out the window but returns to the front of the house which is exactly like Miller's Crossing yes. with Albert Finney. So they do the same action, which is always just like a thing a clever person would do, uh, right. is just like rather than jump down and run away, when they come out and they look and they see, they see you off in the distance running in direction. Now they know, now the chase is completely altered. I think uh, Moss thinks that he can get the upper hand by if I return around, maybe he'll think I went out the window or maybe I can catch him at the stairs, un- not assuming that he's going to see me and I can take him out. Uh, that's a very high level functionary, like, and to get across in move. a film where no, where well, no one speaks. Yeah, mm-hmm. you have to figure out that's what they're. It's a I lot also of process. Love, and the, until they're at the car, we don't see Anton in the sequence. Just ricocheted fire, uh, right? Because he's running down the quiet street. A car approaches, and Moss gets in the. He driver, gets in a truck and says, "All this stuff." It's just like Anton is anywhere. Anton is in the. Well, walls, he gets in a know? guy's truck and says, "Basically, I'm commandeering this vehicle." And then the guy gets sniped in the head, so you're like, I guess Anton has a sniper rifle and a good position yeah. somehow right now on this so truck. All right. Moss freaks out and drives the truck from the it passenger crashes. side, which of course is never works out. Yeah. Because it always you're gonna you're gonna crash. He gets out and gets behind another parked car, seeing Anton's approach in a storefront window reflection, which is great. Uh, just one of those plays of light that Roger Deakins is very well known for. He did it in Skyfall a bunch of times with a bunch of mirror uh, you know, like mm-hmm. People looking up at people and, you know, like using mirrors to see where they are. I mean, even Saving Private Ryan had that time where, like, Tom Hanks takes out the little uh, piece of glass. But, um, yeah, so he does that whole trick. And then uh, Anton walks up, noticing the blood trail uh, to um, right before Moss shoots at him. So he can perfectly dodge it, more or less, or at least we think he does. And then Anton ducks behind a car. Moss follows, but Anton has escaped down the alleyway. And obviously, the noticing the blood trail, giving him that second to dodge the bullet, uh, more or less, is reminiscent of the pronghorn. So, right. there's that. And it's also interesting that Anton Chigurh is so emotionless that he's also a perfect strategist in the sense that he gets hit once, 
and he leaves. He decides uh, the conditions of the fight have shifted in a way I don't like. I'll just fight him again later. Which a less a person less in control of their emotions, of course, would not be able to do. But no. so uh, so Anton leaves, and Llewellyn's like, "Well, at least I'm alive." He walks across the border into Mexico or out yeah, he's of Mexico. Me- okay. He's in Mexico as these college kids are leaving Mexico. Yeah. Um, sees three basically uh, frat bros who treat him like shit even though he's obviously injured uh, because he needs a coat and they demand money and more and more money and he asks for a beer Mm -hmm. and they say how much will you give us Um, which is of course important later because even though it's a lie they don't know it they say were you in a car accident he goes yeah I was in a car accident and he asks for clothes and they charge him and they treat him like shit at the end of yeah. the movie, Anton will really be in a car accident, and the random people who happen to encounter him will be Are so wonderful. nice and like good Samaritans yeah. to him. And you never know, know who you're talking that, to. I think it's just I don't know you never what it know means who you're it, talking if to. The assholes are the college students in Mexico versus the younger teenage kids in suburban America. Oh, I, I don't, don't know if it's, I don't think I think oh, it has well, more to deal with just random kids or random people or where you are in your life. I just think it's playing the opposites to show that karma holds no sway here. Yes, the guy exactly. whose intention is good on the inside met some assholes because nihilism. Yeah. The guy who deserves to get caught by the <clears> police <throat> met some nice people who didn't scope him as evil yeah. cuz who that could happen the um, next five minutes of the movie is pretty cut and dry i'll just explain sure. it real fast just because i don't think there's much to do it they he both, far goes the money by tossing Ma- it into the river moss and Anton, oh he tosses it yeah but uh after that uh moss falls asleep in mexico pays uh mariachi player to uh, take him to the hospital hundred dollars yeah. to go to the doctor on the other side of the fence anton's <laughs> s- bought cotton balls and is bleeding from his leg he explodes uh, he explodes a uh, parked car. A parked car in order to get into the pharmacy as a distraction. It's just a comparison uh, of how like two guys go about tending their wounds. Yeah. One has the sanction of law-abiding society. One does not one is, give a yeah. fuck. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so he takes the buckshot. I was like, so they're both like hurt, but right. on the mend. Uh, the next sequence is Tommy Lee Jones talking with the secretary about how the DEA investigation is going. He mentioned that he's going to go to Odessa to visit visit Moss's wife uh, and he pulls over a man who's carrying some bodies from the crime scene. I didn't know what that really was. Like, I don't know what that means. Was it, uh, yeah. it, was it bodies and what are they doing? It feels like one of those hangovers it's, for people who read the book. It is. It's the bodies from involved. the crime scene. Someone in local authority is cleaning up the crime scene and taking the bodies presumably to the morgue and he just has to pull him over and yell at him because they're just he really shittily secured, secured under yeah. a tarp with a couple bungee cords, and he. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of. It's just it's a kinda joke. Speaks I guess. To the theme. He's like, you can imagine a Tommy Lee Jones saying, like, back in my day, this would this wouldn't have happened. Yeah. This is uncouth for right. a person <laughs> in your position to do this. Um, okay. Cool. So yeah, uh, he. Harrelson visits Moss in the hospital. Which Harrelson is, finds him, even though he's been trying to lay low. Yeah. So that doesn't bode well for Llewellyn. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He brings he him. He implies a, he, that Anton could be on his way to Odessa to kill his wife. So he's kind of dangling the, you know, stick. He's using the, the stick and the time, carrot. Yeah. The carrot stick. Just give me the money. It goes away. Obviously, he, he would rather not have to face Anton in combat. Yes, he would rather he work to, a deal out with Llewellyn. Yeah. He's trying to 
pump Moss for all the information so that he can resolve it in the way that he prefers. Right. Um, and then he, so he tells him he's living in a hotel and he'll cut Moss in on the money, which may or may not be true. But in the same breath, mentions that Anton will kill him even if he gets the money back. So he's like, right. I'm the best of your two options. Uh, this is inter- This is uh, immediately followed by Tommy Lee Jones interrogating Carla Jean. Uh, and well, he if we, before we go, if I may say, one of my favorite quotes in the movie is, uh, he's trying to scare him by talking about Anton. Oh, even before that, he uh, he says, oh, you were in Nam, I was in Nam. And he goes, what's that mm-hmm. make me, your buddy? Whereas, uh, just like the kids and the, and the frat bros, it's the same dichotomy, but another instance yep. is Anton will later, I forget who, but someone will give him, I think someone at the hotel gives him a break or something. No, no, it's when he's crossing back into the United States, which is That's harder. right. The border guard uh, lets him through because... They're both He's vets. Vet. Let's Llewellyn yeah. through because they're both vets. So it's like some people care about your past, some people don't give a fuck, and you don't know which is which. Yeah. So but it, did it work? It could have equally not worked. But right. This time it worked. As he says of Anton, what's this guy supposed to be? The ultimate badass. And uh, Wells says, I wouldn't say that. I'd say he doesn't have a sense of humor. And I just think that's more insightful than it seems at first blush, only because, as we often talk about as comedians, like. Humor requires a great deal of empathy and ability to try and inhabit other people's working model of the world because that's how you can figure out what would be absurd or taboo to them and orchestrate it in a way that feels safe enough but surprising enough that they'll laugh. So humor requires empathy, and I just love that saying he doesn't have a sense of humor is basically, without saying it, saying he is a psychopath. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Only psychopaths could not have a sense of humor ever, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I think it's uh, also important to note that uh, in the interrogation immediately after with Carly Jean, Tommy Lee Jones uses the tactic of fear to convince her by telling the story of this guy, Charlie, where he talks about is it certain whether or not we're going to find him, is it certain that he's going to die or not, are we going to get away with it, or are we all dead? Uh, it's like Charlie took a job from a previous job that was a lot more uh, dangerous to just slaughter deer in a slaughterhouse. Right. But he tells the story about the deer like bucking and uh, fucking up the mechanism. And even though Charlie had this like foolproof way Plan of killing to stay safe. deer, yeah. he injured his shoulder and he tells her basically nothing's certain. So Tommy Lee Jones not only is saying like this is probably going to happen, but nothing's certain. And I'm the closest thing you have certainty is the same exact thing that Harrelson is doing to Moss in the hospital. Right. The movie repeatedly with back to backs goes the the criminals method of Mm -hmm. uh, following the trail of clues is identical Mm -hmm. to the officer's method of following the trail of clues. Which to me makes this actually. Including using fear. Yeah. It makes this the midpoint because it's got like a mirror realization of the same thing it may be story-wise i cut story it exact wise. the, the yeah, exact yeah, yeah. time-wise uh, especially because the we as we all know the act three is very truncated because we don't have a scene where it's like oh no the main characters are dying there's no it's, climactic action sequence it's, it's period screen yeah. shit so it's a lot shorter than it would but yeah i think that's the main takeaway from that scene is that yeah he does the same thing that's interesting yeah yeah so presumably moss tells wells yeah, off screen where the money was, or he pieced it together. We don't know. But he's I now feel at the like that's too much of a leap. That's such good detection. I think he made the deal. I choose to I believe he, he made, made the deal, deal off yeah, screen, which is yet another clue. They're saying, here's something. 
that you have to infer, but it's almost definitely true. He must have made the deal. Otherwise, why would Woody Harrelson be here? Okay, see how we took an important plot point and did it off screen? We're going to do that even more coming up. It does create a little bit of a plot hole in that later uh, Moss tells Carly Jean that he's going to leave her all the money. But I guess we can infer that somehow they've worked out, Harrelson and him, that Harrelson actually will give him some of the money. Uh, Harrelson said I could even let you keep some of the money, yeah. Yeah, so maybe he gave him like 50 grand or something like that. out of the Okay, so now there. speaking of the, sp- the spider shot, I feel like this is a twin shot to the shot you called Anton Chigurh spider in. Is Woody coming up the stairs in the hotel? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah it's just like... It's the same it's technique not- where he's blurry and he just calmly walks into frame and you mm-hmm. go... It, it it's used a lot in uh, it follows where yes. you're like oh out of blurry out of focus extras wait that extra that's the thing <laughs> that's the guy right, oh right. fuck it also yeah. happened if you remember in the pharmacy when he was getting all the stuff a little earlier in the movie yeah uh, in the pharmacy the the we jump to a new location we don't see anything but we see like the on the left side of the frame we see a car uh, and it's shining in the sun and the focus is on the gas tank. Right. And then we see Anton Sugar come from behind the car down the hallway or down the wa- uh, walkway, like maybe, right. you know. Just like in this movie, the sounds we choose to focus on. It's, it's like, like s- here's the point of what's yes. going to happen is he's going to They're literally the deciding to make storytelling guide diegetic decisions. Right. Yeah, yeah, sure, say, the flies are f- so far away you probably wouldn't hear them if you were standing in this location, but the right. flies are the point of this shot, so you hear the flies. And it's kind of a nihilistic emphasis to almost say that it's not, all these things are true, but it's not as much that Anton did this, it's that Anton, this happened and Anton was there. Like, it's this sure. kind of feeling of he is window dread. he's just this kind of yes aspect and- of the scene. To be concrete, what we're dancing around is this is the bit where he found uh, Carson Wells, Woody Harrelson, and he sneaks up behind him and puts a gun in his back and says, we should go to your room. So Carson Wells' attempt basically came to very little, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wasn't in the movie that long. For us, yeah. It's got that Game of Thrones stank on it where you're like, well, I wanted him to survive a little longer. Um, I will read, if, if I may... Please. The meat of that, those quotes. Uh, I know where the satchel is. Of course, this is Woody Harrelson trying to barter for his life. I know where the satchel is. Anton, I know something better. I know where it's going to be. Oh, yeah, where's that? It's going to be brought to me and placed at my feet. You don't know that to a certainty. I do know it to a certainty. And you know what's going to happen now, Carson? You should admit your situation. There would be more dignity in it. You go to hell. If the rule you follow brought you to this, of what use is the rule? And that's where I want to stop because I got to call bullshit on Anton here too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's very clear, especially because he will break his own quarter rule by the end of the movie. Uh, he's just, he just, and this is the only scene he smiles in. He likes fucking with people, but his internal systems, it's funny how everyone describes him, including Woody Harrelson as, I guess you could say he's a killer, but he's got rules. He's got principles. And you're like, yeah, till he wants the money or he has to break the rule to kill someone he wants to kill because in the real world, there are not systems that remain consistent. And that's actually frightening because if you follow that to its logical conclusion, 
that means there's no God because there's no consistent system that guides the universe. Or if there is, it has no special interest in helping or hurting you. You're on your fucking own. And therefore, Anton is also full of shit. I just want to hammer that home. And it's interesting. He says, I know to a certainty the bag will be placed at my feet. No, it's not. He suffers greatly to get it. It's not placed at his feet. So uh, Anton also just talks shit. Like, anyone who He's speaks confidently is full of shit. Yeah, anyone. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's all ego. It's all ego to say. It's that whole announcing your plans is a good way to hear God laugh kind of Right. Thing. And his delusion is he thinks the fact that he's about to murder Woody means I must be right and he must be wrong. Otherwise, how would I be able to murder him? I don't know because you have a gun and you were behind him, dude. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make you philosophically right. I found that the most interesting aspect of this scene. Oh, and then, of course, he goes on to say, um, of what use is your rule? Uh, And Woody says, do you have any idea how crazy you are? Yeah. You mean the nature of this conversation? I mean the nature of you, which is great because he easily could have said these lines in True Detective. Yeah. Um, And then he says his last words, you can have the money, Anton. Boom! Shotgun right. blast to the chest. Well, the phone and then, rings. And yeah. then a phone ringing. And of course, uh, we already mentioned it, but it's it is awesome. great. The sound of the phone ringing, way louder than the sound of the shotgun blast that just killed a man. Yeah. And more it surprising. It shows how uh, tempered they all are because no one flinches when the phone rings, which is very loud. So I did, you, watching it. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. But you'd expect that Anton would shoot immediately the phone yeah no he would shoot he would sh- kill wells bef- uh, oh the phone like, rings while first. the phone rang right right but right. he wait he, the phone rings a few times and then he shoots him and like, then picks up the phone yeah he, yeah it's just one of those things that usually in movies we see this scene time and time again where someone's all very tense and then something happens like a outside a car you know like right. has a pop or something like that is carson there is carson there not in the sense that you mean. Yeah. Because um, no, it's Llewellyn on the other end, of course. Yeah. We can presume following up on the deal. Like he's going to go, did you get the bag? What do we do next? Right. You know. And it's like, I'm already going to kill you, but it's whether you need to give me the money or I'm going to kill you and your wife and whoever's right. in the way. Uh, and Moss threatens him back, which I thought was very... Like, this is Moss, I think, having his simplistic worldview, knowing he's out of his death. But I have heart. I'm going to fight being so like, hard. I, yeah. no, you, I have to fight. Why? Because I'm the good guy. I always fight. And you yet, know, like, you can tell from the shots, like, Anton is literally sitting in a room with the evidence that he's a stone-cold killer, lifts his feet so the blood doesn't get on his shoes like a badass, and the camera angle looks up at him in reverence as he goes, like, I'm going to kill you, okay? We cut to Llewellyn, who is shot from behind, much smaller in frame, and sort of like like hitting the phone and being upset, and Anthony goes like, no, no, I'm going to kill you. And you're like, oh, man, you're over your head, dude. Yeah, yeah, it's someone playing like the role as opposed to just being it. Um, He goes, you know how this is going to turn out, right? No. Yes, you do. It's like Mm -hmm. trying to calm a child down. (laughs) Like, I'll kill you, so this is my offer. And yeah, he says, I'm going to kill you, period. If you give me the money, I won't kill Carla Jean. Right. And then we have a uh, a short scene between uh, Belle and Wendell, which I just like it because I like the story that they chose, which is uh, Tommy Lee Jones is reading a newspaper and tells a story about uh, a 
a couple being tortured for cashier's checks and the yes. perp was wearing a dog collar. And it's just like the, well, that was just a confluence of events. That's like, it's like if someone was to report on the big Lebowski and like right. put it like, also there was there and someone had, someone's toe was cut off. I don't really know what's going on. It's just like all the details are just so crazy and out of left field. His point seems to be that he just doesn't, doesn't understand the world anymore. Yeah. Uh, although I think there's one line, Again, though, it's not true, dude. Like, the Roman Empire, you know, tortured and executed right. people in ways more horrible than Anton Chigurh could ever right. imagine. But I do think the most resonant line for me there was, and he, and they torture him, too. I don't know why. Maybe their TV was broke, which I do think is an important point. And then Wendell laughs, and he says, that's okay. Sometimes all you can do is laugh. Of course, again, the humor, empathy thing. Sometimes you have to laugh in the face of, incomprehensible cruelty and that actually means you aren't a sociopath like you you follow me yeah 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 moss tries to get back uh to the states and is let through by mentioning he's a war vet yep he yep. visits the same clothing store that's it uh, no sir it's unusual yeah, yeah it's unusual uh he get back he gets back the money from the riverbank he, he gets calls a Carla. baller cowboy set of duds oh, dude yeah, yeah he, and he looks tells sharp. he's gonna leave her all the money and there's probably a bunch of other details you know that we're not privy to as the well also keep in mind he's he said to anton i'm building a special project that's gonna kill Mm -hmm. you and Mm -hmm. we never find because he is the kind of guy to like set traps but you never Mm -hmm. find out whatever if he even had a project in Uh, mind yeah while that's happening anton is arrived at the man who hired wells building steven root and he kills him and there's an accountant there uh and the accountant's just kind of there to hear his thoughts. He's just terrified, and he's like, "Are you going to kill me?" Uh, but Anton rather talk about he's that he's confused why they used a transponder because it was the wrong tool, which is once again just a nod to Anton Chigurh thinking that the world is all everything is a tool, and he's a master of a few. Tools I thought he was referring to himself. He's saying it's insulting that you gave other people transponders <laughs> because I'm right. the correct tool for the job. How dare yes. you not use only me? Yeah. Um, which, how could you predict that that would insult someone so much that they go rogue? That is pretty weird. No. Once again, it's because right. we're starting to see that Anton has... We just saw him as a... We thought that maybe it might have been told where to go and kill. He right. has no rhyme or reason. He's just out there killing to get... Because he sees it all as a point of, I am so good at this that no one will ever catch yes. me. And, and I, assume the he part, kills right. the, I assume he kills the accountant too. Because he yeah, says, are yeah. you going to kill me? And he says, that depends. Do you see me? So I think for the sake of tying up loose ends, uh, he's dead as well. So this is where we find out that his motive for going rogue is not apparently the money. It's his resentment. However, I would argue it's probably both. He's such a romantic fuckhead. He would present it as some kind of rule thing, even Mm -hmm. if it, you know, for all we know, his mind really changed when he saw this $2 million up for grabs, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's a, it's such a fundamental uh, arc for the Coen brothers at this point is someone overreaching, but also there's just money involved and right. someone can get it. And do you think you can get away with it is just such a Coen brothers type. Uh, I think because they're more interested arc. in what are the tactics people will employ to get the prize, the prize, the specifics of the prize don't matter. And mm-hmm. money's such an easy way to set up the prize that they go. Fine, it's money. Okay, so now how do the rats behave in the maze? You know, that's Usually what do crimes. <laughs> Usually do crimes in the case yeah. of the Coens, but... Carla Jean and her mother is in the next sequence heading to El Paso. The oh next scenes God. are following them. 
Oh, One of them grandma. helps the mother with the bags. Yeah, with <laughs> the grandma. Uh, and pumps her for some information, which she totally gives away. Someone from the cartel. Everyone. Yeah, right? from the cartel. Yeah. She goes, uh, we're going to El Paso. Don't ask me why. And he's like, where are you staying? And she goes, well, and it cuts away. So Yeah, it's like exactly all the information. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, Carla Jean, who isn't there, who probably would have the foresight because she's not the kind of person who just assumes that everyone's like, I think what's what she said, oh, at least there's one gentleman here in El Paso when uh, one of well, the- Well, it's because Carla Jean members. stepped away to talk to Llewellyn right. on the phone. Right, I think Carla yeah. Jean knows the rub and would be like, don't tell them, but yeah. just don't get that benefit because she's not in the scene because she's calling the sheriff and telling where Moss is planning on going in order to protect him. So she is also taking the deal because they both feel that they're out of the depth. Right. Uh, Anton back on the road has stalled his car and uh, a local pulls over to give him a jump in one of my favorite dialogues in the whole movie. Yes, um, which airport would you, would one use in Alpine, which is presumably where they are right here. But he tells him airports are in El Paso and Dallas. So he knows, okay, so he's either in El Paso or Dallas because he's going to take a flight out. Because he needs a flight. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so Anton kills him and takes his truck. Can you get those chicken crates out of the back? Jump cut to him at a car wash hosing down the truck bed. Just yeah. once again, Anton, it's like all, it's like if you had to film like someone eating a meal, the reason we don't is because it's kind of boring to us. So we usually just show someone ha- starting right. a meal or finishing a meal because those are the only two activities that aren't just consistently eating a meal. Now imagine if you're Anton Chigurh, killing people is with that same kind of laissez-faire right. attitude. Just so It's the same as the hound. It. Uh, saying I'll eat every fucking chicken in this Yeah, pub. yeah, it's just yeah. like, just jump cut to me having already killed the guy. It's almost like a joke now. Cause the point like, is chickens. Can I get those chickens out? Chickens yeah. and unrepentant murder go together. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Llewellyn's yeah, final is in scene. El Paso Moss meets the woman by the pool. And this is where they flirt and talk about it, getting beers together. Cause, yep. You know, what beers I think to, it's and he's like, very important. And this is like, if you still are fixing to get upset that the hero's going to die off screen, they basically do the ham horn app at you as lo- as loud as they can right before it's mm-hmm. going to happen. He says, uh, what are you doing? Uh, or she says, what are you doing looking out the windows all the time? And he says, I'm just looking out for what's coming. And she says, no one ever sees that. What's coming is the final standoff. Mm-hmm. We don't get to see it. They literally wove that exact thing into the dialogue and i was still surprised that's a hell of a twist when the scene before the twist happens the dialogue is this twist is about to happen and you don't see it coming that's right. just amazing to me <clears throat> yeah uh and the fallout it basically is that tommy lee jones arrives in midi's rest to witness rapid gunfire the cartel are fleeing in a truck and we see probably less than one second of a running panning shot of Moss's dead body in the same pool that he was just at a second ago, or presumably I, he could have stayed I there slowed it down. Days. I think a random hotel worker, or I actually, I take that back. I'm pretty sure the body in the pool is a cartel guy to show that Llewellyn got one shotgun blast off from the doorway because mm-hmm. it's definitely Llewellyn's body on the floor inside the hotel room. Regardless... Oh, okay. I love that the hey, order, so, th- yeah. for everyone's efforts, the order never changed. Llewellyn was in the lead. The cartel was chasing him. Anton's one step behind that. The detective's one step behind that. No one ever behind caught that. up yeah. or fell behind. It just yeah, like it, the machine ground to a halt. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so people died. 
Uh, I also thought that the shortest death reveal in any film ever is uh, they had they felt the need to include a short sequence of Carla Jean crying when she drives up in the uh, the cab. Yes, because she looks at the sheriff's face and she knows that the next thing he's going to say is going to be, "Yeah, he's dead." Uh, yeah. And then we get a final shot, and it's once again from very far, so you can't see like it's they're probably none of these bodies are Josh Brolin. Uh, it's probably just dummies or look like right. because why would you do it? Because the shot of him looking over a body in the morgue is uh, Tommy Lee Jones looking over a body in the morgue is so like distant that it almost feels like if you blink during the sequence, you can later infer from things that people say later in the movie, but mm-hmm. like you could totally miss the fact that Llewellyn's dead. Right. You just have to be a actor. Yeah, no, when I saw it in theaters, people were asking people in their party if Llewellyn like died happened. or not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, love it. So what I love is that he goes to talk to another sheriff about how modern crimes don't make sense to them and yeah. they're senseless and violent. But in yeah. retrospect, it's yeah. two sheriffs in white cowboy hats talk about how they hate dyed he- hair and piercings mm-hmm. and how kids don't say sir or ma'am anymore and also they're scared of Mexicans because right. of the crimes they do. And right. it's like... It's- Oh, maybe this movie isn't about how Tommy Lee is right. <laughs> right. And he, he refers to at the Desert Sands at one point off screen, Anton killed a desk clerk and then returned to the crime scene to kill more people. Yeah. And so his question to uh, Tommy Lee Jones is, how do you fight against that? And then yeah. that jump cuts to Tommy Lee Jones going back to the crime scene, who we get a single shot, like a, once again, a spider shot. Uh, behind the door, Anton is waiting for him. So it's like Anton has no reservations about coming to crime scenes multiple times because he'll just kill more people if they get in his way. Right. Here's and something. Like, why I'm, would you do that? Yeah. That's insane is what Tommy Lee Jones is doing. But I think the reason Tommy Lee Jones returns is he's like, you know what? That's the kind of killer I'm dealing with. I yeah. bet if I go back. So it's I'm worth actually, a shot. And yeah. then, of course, Anton's returning because... He figures Llewellyn may have hid the money well enough that the cartel didn't find it, so it's worth one more shot again mm-hmm. for him to search the room. Um, mm-hmm. He like he wants to check the vent because he knows that's Llewellyn's mo. Yeah. Llewellyn's mo. We never find or does he? Does Anton have the money definitively? Here, not definitively, but here's there's this single. Um, it's yeah, it's, this is where it gets real confusing. That has the open vent, and then it pans over to bolts, and on the floor is a dime, and I think it's this one of the same coins. Like the idea is that yes. it might be Anton because he's that's got true. Coins. It is because we see Anton using a dime to unscrew the vent the first time. So here's mm-hmm. my other question. Tommy Lee opens the door and walks in and sits on the bed, and Anton is gone, and it's unclear to me. Whether right. these are intercutting two different spaces and Anton was never really in the room that Tommy Lee Jones is in, mm-hmm. or it, did he just Batman away or hide? Yeah, is Anton the in the room that he enters? If Anton would probably shut the door and kill him with a silenced rifle. Right. Uh, uh, so, yeah, I think that they are playing with that. Either he is, now that he has the money, he's a little bit more precious about getting away with this, so he's not going to kill willy nilly is one thing, uh-huh. uh, unless he has complete control. Or maybe I was thinking maybe he's in the room through the wall. Just or you're like, right. Yeah, It's the same idea. It's like it could be also displaced with space where he's in a different room listening in to see if like someone's going to come back so he can get the jump on. Right. 
uh, and he's in he's just in the dark in a room right next to him. Or it's displaced in time is another thing to think of is that he was doing this uh, as a kind of thing where it was like this is him killing the cartel or right. something. Yeah. And then the last thing you can think of is just that it's a like a like a surrealist metaphor where it's just like he could have been there, but he we don't know if it he could, was. I was thinking it could be Tommy Lee Jones imagining that he's still in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he really was one at one time because he finds the dime. But the truth yeah. is, yet again, you were one step behind him. He was probably in here while you were talking to the sheriff at the diner. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's something that kind of bothers me. It doesn't really bother me, I guess, because I, I think that they've earned a lot of it. And I think that it has, any way you slice it, it does have some kind of artistic merit. No, yeah, but it, it works. But it does take like advantage it. of a very overused trope, which is just, I'm going to randomly throw a threat into a scene just to make it more tense. And I didn't like that uh, because it didn't pay off in any way. But at least there's other things going for it. So it's not my favorite move by the Coen brothers. But, you know. It's a great shot, though. He looks real scary. Great shot. It's a great yeah. shot. There's at least that. Uh, but I think it's it's totally forgivable. And it might not even be bad, depending on mm-hmm. uh, how you internalize it and how you personally view it. Because I think that there's a large openness to interpretation. Um, so then it's not even... This is where it really gets... Like, come on. And it's like, we're entering the last, like, three sequences mm-hmm. of the movie. The first one is uh, Carla Jean at her mother's funeral. Oh, no, sorry, I've, I skipped something. T- Tommy Lee returns, uh, returns to his friend Ellis's place, who I assume is in Alpine, so it's just like, I'm in town, might as well talk to an old sheriff. Yeah. Uh, and they talk about how many cats he has, and Tommy Lee Jones Oh, well, we got to give that line. Job. How many yeah. of those you got now? Cats? Oh, I don't know, several. Depends what you mean by got. Some are half wild, some are just outlaws. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I love that he's like depends on by what you mean by God, mm-hmm. uh, right. because it brings up the it brings up the certainty question again. Uh, and when we talk about how previous or historical wisdom speaking truth about today's reality, he doesn't quote got all the cats because some of them are too wild. And he leaves it's, the door open so they yeah, have agency, yeah. so they're not got. Yeah. Yeah. So it's more that line is more about the certainty of got being put mm-hmm. into question. Which I thought it was a very relevant thing because yeah. it's like got having something being in control of something isn't something that you can any like no one could ever have the certainty that they do. So I'm gonna put that throw that back at you because that's one of the reasons that you feel overmatched. Um, right. Tommy Lee Jones talks about how he thought that God would come into his life the more he got older, and he doesn't blame him. In fact, he says that God probably thinks the same of him, implying that he thinks of himself as lowly, not degenerate, but just not in general proud of his life. He's saying, why would God take interest in a random, boring dude's life? Uh, And that echoes the line of how he thinks of himself, Tommy Lee Jones, that is, at the beginning in the first crime with probably, I don't know. And he also asks Ellis, uh, don't you want vengeance on the people that, because he's in a wheelchair, that injured you, Mm -hmm. that ended your career. And he said for a while, but now he doesn't. And uh, I think, yeah, they are speaking to that. It seems to be this way for me. Life does not get less and less confusing. Like, you don't get old and be like, ah, now it all makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no. <laughs> and, that, and that will be uh, we should, that will be the last thing we talk about because that's the last sure. scene. Just to kind of almost blaze through the last you know few sequences. Mm-hmm. Carla Jean's at his mother's funeral, uh, at, who I don't know... Do do we know why she died, or did she is she a fallout of like other Mexican cartel? Like is uh, the she says, I got that... the cancer on the phone earlier in the movie, right, so right. I assume she because succumbed to cancer. Otherwise, it doesn't really pan out that right. uh, when he was like, "Where are you going? Where are you going to meet?" 
uh, other than the fact that the the cartel members were asking the mother and Carla Jean, not because they thought they had the money, but they thought they would get them to Llewellyn. <clears throat> right, right. Which apparently worked. Um, um, she knew- yeah, and oh, I just think it's important also that Ellis says to Tommy Lee, which mm-hmm. this may be the most on the nose I think the movie ever gets in dialogue. What you got ain't nothing new. This country's hard on people. You can't stop what's coming. It ain't all waiting on you. That's vanity. So the old man who thinks this the world has left him, an even older man reminds him, no, you're going to die someday. The world moves on. That's vanity. It doesn't stay right. for you. It's the other way around. I remember when... Uh... When I knew, when I stopped knowing people who are editor in chief of our old publication in college, right? Uh, every editor in chief kind of talks about this. Where I go, like, well, at least I'm putting this in Dan and Zambrowski's hands, or he's right. putting it in your hands, and I'm like, that means they're still good because those guys are good. And then the first time that you hear like, who's the uh, editor now? Some person, and you're like, yeah. it's fucking dead. It's so dead. It's not going to live. Because like, who else can do it? Sure. They were the lifeblood for four years, and mm-hmm. you're just going to start off with a freshman and I, you know, someone we don't even trust. And it's like the reality is things go on if they want right. to go on. People find a way to reinvent it, just like people before us were saying, like, these kids are in charge. You know, It's always yeah. that kind of assumption that you know better yeah. because you've lived it. And there might be true in some cases, but the big laugh is that no one's really perfectly ready and everyone just is just telling themselves that they have it in control. Yeah. Um, so after the funeral, she goes back to her mother's house, notices an open window and fans, uh, finds Anton in the bedroom like a fucking ghost. She tells him he, uh, she doesn't know where the money is. She mentions that he has no cause to kill her, which is like what everyone has always said. But he's obligated to kill her because he says Llewellyn gave his word. And she goes, what do you mean, my husband? He gave his word that he'd kill her if she didn't get Right, so he twists that. He says, I And then she's like, that does make no sense because they're all dead. You know, The way he views it is, I promised your husband I would kill you. Yeah. And I love how he goes, people always say the same thing. And he flips a coin. It's like you're calling out my crazy and people always say that. Yeah. Because you're fucking crazy. He's like, Nope, I'm not crazy. Like he has not changed one bit. But that's Uh, the point is she's the first victim in the movie who knows she's going to be killed. And it takes mm -hmm. all the wind out of his sails. His ritual is completely ruined. And this is where you see that. I think most pointedly that Anton sugar is full of shit Mm -hmm. because, uh, he says, she says, you don't have to do this. And he says, people always say that. And I think, What's very important is the follow-up, and she goes, that's because you don't. Like, that's why people say that, because it's true and you're crazy. And he just says, okay, does the coin game. (coughs) Pardon. And I think uh, it's great how she just calls him out, which no one else has done, and calls him out in a way where her plain spokenness also points out how Look, you think you're badass? Look how fucking pompous you are. Look at your haircut. You're kind of just a fucking loser nerd. You know what I mean? Because she goes, I knew you was crazy when I saw you sitting there. I know what's in store for me. I ain't going to call it. This is stupid. The coin don't have no say. It's just you. And he goes, call it, call it, call it. She refuses. And so he says, uh, or she goes, who cares about the coin? He says, I got here the same way the coin did, which again, is just like romantic puffery. It's true. He's saying, 
everything is random chance. How, how, how poetic that I might by chance murder you this day. And it's like, fuck you, asshole. That's yeah, not that artistically no interesting. Yeah. Other than some random promise you made a dead man that wasn't even a promise to be. Like, right. Promises mattered to begin with. Much so less someone who's dead. If you agree with me, I know there's a fringe minority who think he didn't kill her, but he killed her because he checks his boots for blood. Yeah, uh, he checks his feet for blood, which is something that he cares about blood getting on his right. shoes. Then I so, truly believe I think that she refused to play the game and he killed her anyway, which means he's a goddamn hypocrite. No yep. joker are you, sir. You violated your own thing. Yeah, you, yeah. you're... Yeah, I agree. I think that's definitely yeah. what happened. That's the point. Uh, yeah, because that's everything else lines up. Uh, but once again, we the film itself presents it in a way that there's no definitive answer. Oh, and which it's is such a gun punch to the certainty aspect of the storytelling. Because if you're used to movie law, if the villain is Two Face and that's his thing, and in the last scene the it lands spare the hero, you're like, oh, thank God, and then it's like. Two Face can just shoot him anyway. It doesn't fucking matter. Right. <laughs> what and a once gut again, punch! Yeah. Once again, this like un- sense of this unreliable narrator as the camera uh, of when things are in close up and stuff. Like I love how it's just kind of a a mess. It, like the idea is that it doesn't really have any structure. It has things it does. Like going back to the you know him uh, the the gas tank and blowing up the gas tank. That shot to the edit of this shot going from she might still be alive to him cleaning it, like checking for blood on his boots. Yeah. Life sometimes determines, sometimes if life is being taken, the film will be like, look at this life being taken. Other times it won't care just as much as it doesn't care about coins and little vents and satchels of money. Right. Objects and people are indistinguishable. And it's amazing how film and you, every human being listening to this, for example, have the ability to invest a dime. A dime can mean everything. A dime can mean that you no longer belong in this world and there is no God because you showed up seconds too late to save a friend of a friend from getting murdered. Mm -hmm. Or a dime can be worth 10 cents, which can't even buy you a gumball. Mm -hmm. Uh, Everything about life is in this movie. (laughs) It's, uh, so it's a good then one. it cuts then it cuts some time may have passed or, or no some time passes in just that he got in his car he's driving away through a green light so he's not even doing anything bad but he's sideswiped by a car he stumbles out of the curb his arm once broken. again sorry just gotta say uh i know we're well over two hours so we gotta go but um i i would be remiss if i didn't mention this on a technical level because for diegesis wise um Every time someone gets T-boned by a car in a movie, they shoot it the same way. And in this, they shoot it the same way, but the car comes from behind you instead of towards you, which Uh seems at first like it would be less scary, but it's way more scary and truer to the character because the character who gets hit by the car obviously doesn't see the car, so you shouldn't see the car. It's simple decisions like that that make them the greatest living filmmakers that they go back to basics. They don't just go, this is how you shoot a car getting T-boned, surprisingly. They go, why do people shoot a car getting T-boned this way? What does film grammar tell us about what each possible way of shooting that would mean? What do we want to say? Okay, so we'll shoot it this way. Uh, Just simple, but makes everything so wonderful. Yeah. 
All right. Spicy meatball. Get us. Yeah, you got to get us home, man. Oh, yeah, yeah I can. Uh, yeah, so uh, he's got some. He sits down on a curb with his arm broken. Some kids and bikes bike up. As we reference, they they're nice him, to him. And yeah. it's one of the only times that we get that uh, that that comedy and repetition from the Coen brothers with the line, you got bones sticking out of your arm. I'm okay. I just need shirt. to sit here. Yeah. Yeah. The kid gives him his shirt. And as you alluded to before, as a parallel to the college kids trying to get every piece of money they can out of Llewellyn, these kids are more than happy to give him a shirt because he, they just see a guy who just went into through a terrible art, car right. accident. It's and like he's a drunk. Or I mean, Llewellyn was bleeding in that other yes. scene. They he they knew he was not having a good day as well. Yes. So it's just depends on who you run into. Exactly. Um, and Anton, in this case. Offers them money, presumably because he thinks it would make them more likely to not report yeah, him to the police. Yeah, he was already gone when the police arrived. But they're seriously the like, arrived. Mr., I don't need money for helping out, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I also just had, I wrote this note. Imagine being a child actor trying to make it into Hollywood and getting to show off your little puffy boy nips in a fucking Coen Brothers movie. That's So he does, he walks away. And of course, this is the this is the way they definitively prove that the film is about random chance, because if he got no comeuppance, it seems to say that this is a universe where crime pays and he's the ultimate badass. If he gets a full comeuppance, it's a movie that seems to say karma exists, good things happen to good people and vice versa. So they had to do both. It actually feels redundant when you're watching it, given traditional screenwriting you know, logic, you're like, well, if he's going to survive the car wreck, why get in the car wreck? Because that's the point. You, He's not, he's human. He can get hit by a car. He can also survive the car crash and still keep the money. Whatever. Like, we're, it's almost like the movie world stops caring entirely and is like, yeah, 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 that's whatever. Life yeah. goes on. It's, its point is try to nullify your expectations of it having, yes. you know, like George R. R. Martin justice or like typical Hollywood movie justice where the good guys get the good stuff. You know, it's like those are two answers to the question. Everyone dies or everyone lives or all the good people live rather. And in this, it's just like, yeah, he was doing everything right. He was going through a green light. He just got hit. Yep. And his bone is broken and he might be caught. But uh, we don't know. So he tries to get away and that's how we leave him. Yeah. Uh, the last scene of the movie is Tommy Lee Jones fresh from retirement telling his wife different things he could do that day. He seems aimless. He doesn't know what he's going to do. He's retired. Uh, yeah. And she's like, yeah. well, I am not retired. So, uh, you know, like you figure it out, which is the answer to how do you spend your leisure time once you're retired? You figure it out. So he tells her two dreams he had the previous night and there's two dreams. And I want to unpack kind of what they mean as it's the final kind of dialogue in the movie. Yeah. Uh, the second one, especially kind of wrapping up the movie entirely. So the first one is he was going to meet his dad in town and he was going to get some money uh, so that he could like buy some stuff. So this is, I think him trying to connect with the earlier parts of his life. And also remember on top of everything, since it's a nihilistic kind of, uh, you know, film slash novel, None of this means anything, but sometimes when there's bookends, you have to infer the meaning to see if they're trying to say something, yeah. kind of like we just did with the why did Anton Chigurh even get in a car crash? Uh, if he was at just going to walk away, yeah. In this case, I think you have two different clay, two different times. You have Tommy Lee Jones in the first dream being like a young kid, yeah. and then Tommy Lee Jones being like 
feels like an adult. And I think a lot of people incorrectly yeah. think the first dream is just filler dialogue to get to the second dream, but yeah. it's not. Because yeah, the ahead. whole point about him trying to get money is that he, he says, I think I lost it. I think I lost it. And I don't know for sure, but I feel like I lost it. Right. Yeah. So that becomes more relevant with the second uh, dream, which is... Well, it's disappointment, but I also think it's him losing... I think it's also echoes of him losing... Uh, I thought I understood the way the world worked. You do this, you give the money, that's the transaction. Mm-hmm. I lost the money. I don't have any currency in the new system. Yeah. yeah. Or or even just that when you're young and looking at wisdom from, in this case, his dad or the elders, Right. Uh, he didn't gain... He didn't glean the... Uh, the he feels like he fell short of the legend he thought they were paving. Yeah. He feels, yeah, he lost. I think it. he it's too Tommy step. Lee Jones. I think it's it's Tommy Lee Jones feeling like, well, kids aren't going to listen to old people, and old people won't change. So right. the second dream is that much longer quote, dream. It yeah. was like we were in older times, riding horseback through passing the mountain. It was cold, and there was snow on the ground. He rode past me and kept on going. Never said nothing going by. Just rode on past. He had his blanket wrapped around him and his head down. When he rode past, I seen he was carrying a fire and a horn, the way people used to do. And I could see the horn from the light inside of it, about the color of the moon. And in the dream, I knew there was that he was going to on, a, on ahead. He was fixing to make a fire somewhere out there in all that dark and all that cold. And I knew that I never got there. He would, and if I, whenever I got there, he'd be there. And then I woke up. So what is that? Uh, when I you? got there, yeah, the camp would be set up. Yeah, um, I obviously the I think the uh, the level everyone picks up on is like you uh, you know growing up and realizing your parents are only human and they were also navigating a confusing mm-hmm. life. Um, you think dad is gonna be in the afterlife waiting for you is also the literal version. Um, so maybe he's lost his faith, like literally lost his faith in the existence of an afterlife or that mm-hmm. his dad still exists as a soul. But also it could just be on the more basic level, he's lost faith in the ability of the wisdom of elders to guide us because the world changes so rapidly. What does his dad's horn of fire mean by the time he gets there? I mean, it's a lantern. So right, it's like, exactly. It's just the idea of like showing. I think it represents wisdom. I think it's, it represents certainty in the darkness. But then I uh, woke up has to mean, and now I don't believe any of that anymore. Yes, right? because yeah. he's like, here's my, my assumption is that I knew that whenever I got there, he'd yeah. be there making the camp. But then I woke up, meaning which oh, our elders really didn't. Ha- that was the a certainty dream. of our yeah. elders make it make our it makes it feel nice that when our elders tell us it's going to be like this, just listen to this wisdom. That it's going, all right, well, the thing that I was looking for is to have faith in something so I didn't have to stay up every night worrying about whether or not I'm going to be killed by the Anton Chigurhs of the world or, you know, all the way down to, like, I don't think my life is going the way that I want to go or, you know, like, I got, you know, whatever problem it may be, you always want faith in some kind of certainty. And he's arguing here that he woke up and he realizes that there is no God. He didn't get closer to God. He's not getting closer to any well, quite, form of wisdom yeah. through his being a lawman. He is just, he woke up to the fact that there is no certainty ever. Quite literally, that is a dream. I had uh-huh. a dream and then I woke up and realized, yeah, but it's a dream. It's not right. reality. Yeah. Right. Which uh, is, yeah. I also just think it's funny. This was pointed out on Screen Prism's coverage of the film. Um, there does seem to be enough awareness in the dialogue, especially with the way the wife acts, that it's pretty awesome 
as a structural joke for a movie where we wanted it to end with a crazy gunfight between two badasses that it ended with a guy describing his dreams from last night, which is famously joked about as something boring no one wants to hear. Like, no one wants to hear you describe your dreams, Tommy Lee Jones. There was supposed to be a gunfight. He's got that (laughs) voice somewhere out there and all that dark and all that cold. It's like, oh, fuck, he's a fucking Tommy Lee Jones, baby. Uh, Well, and Josh Brolin, I assume, for Men in Black, was following him around taking notes the whole time they were shooting. Right, 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 right. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of the rundown of it. I like movies that beg questions and don't give answers. And this is one that is on the top of my list for that because it does give answers and then says the answers are constantly on writing themselves. That is what life is. That feels like that is both propaganda, meaning that's both a thesis, but that's also the thesis is inherent in the thesis is the lack of faith in anything, including the thesis itself. So Although, that to me, yes, in the same way that uh, a classic paradox that I embrace is that in a tolerant society, the one thing you can't tolerate is violent intolerance, and that doesn't make you a hypocrite. It makes it that that's your specific rule that to maintain tolerance, you think it's worth it to be tolerant of everything except intolerance. Um, you're allowed to make mm-hmm. your system whatever you want, as long as you can get everyone to have faith in it. Um, so it's interesting that I do think to some degree, the one thing that most existentialists or slash nihilists would say is, I do believe everything is meaningless, but that doesn't mean what I'm saying now is meaningless. What I'm saying now is true. Everything is meaningless. It, it's a never ending paradox that cycles back it's a, on itself. Yeah, but yeah. It's, <laughs> yep, yep, that's the whole thing. And that's what that rings specifically true to me in my experience because sometimes I worked really hard on something and it didn't come out or sometimes mm-hmm. I didn't work hard at all and it I was super lucky you know all these right. things and every other iteration is somewhere in between um, and I would argue that are, the existence of paradoxes arising from a system of thought do not invalidate mm-hmm. the system of thought necessarily yeah. yeah yeah it definitely doesn't offer any type of soundbite wisdom in terms of how you should lead your life other than don't look for that kind of thing, I think. Figure out your situation whether yourself. it's even saying that at all. Yeah. It could just be presenting the facts. And, I mean, I like to think that there's always a deeper sense to stories. And um, I like to think that the reason that everyone's excited about this project when they wrote it or, you know, were involved in it was the fact that it does say something that is fundamentally true. Uh, but whether or not you listen to that wisdom is what it's trying to ask of whether or not Ought you do that or ought you do not? Should you do that? Yeah. Should you not? It doesn't seem to fuck with that shit. So I think it says the only thing which is fundamentally true, in my opinion, which is X equals X. Uh, the way you say that in words is it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, every single moment in time space is wholly unique and beholden to the infinite number of factors that caused it to manifest and apply to it at that time space. You know what I mean? Like we try our stupid meat brains are designed to try and categorize things so that we can create rules that apply to multiple situations. And that works fairly well to some degree, but it doesn't negate the fact that no two situations have ever been alike. Every situation is differentiable from every other situation. Yeah. 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 
it is what it is is the only true thing you could ever say because you can negate yeah. everything else. Um, also, did you hear they just did the first quantum physics experiment that proves that that proves every, most physicists already fully believe this, but it proved evidentiarily that two people in two different rooms observing the same experiment in different meth ways can observe two f- incom- incompatible realities, but with a hundred percent certainty. Right. So right. you live in a universe that is not certain. That is now proven on the subatomic level. Sorry. Fuck you, audience. Damn. Oscar, please. <laughs> Damn. 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 Yeah, so that's, I think it might be my, my, it's, I don't know. It's definitely top three. Might be number one. Movies, not period. Sure. No, yeah. Coen Brothers. Oh, movies, okay, okay. But, oh, but easily. To that extension, yes, a little bit. Probably top 10. Definitely top 10. Top three Coens without question, I would say. Yeah, that's my argument. Uh, yes, it hurts to put was... something like "Oh, brother" at four, but I know there's also Fargo and Lebowski. Man, this shit yeah, is exactly. it's a stiff competition, man. <laughs> right, and uh, I think in this point in the career, they uh, they're fucking here. You know, like they can do no wrong at this point. They they've kind of have a J.K. Rowling syndrome, uh, where it's just the peop- the fans of the them are just going to emphatically be their fans, which yes. I count myself amongst. Uh, and if you're you listening know, to I, this, you probably do too. Yeah, because like uh, I'll try to be as aware as I can over the next uh, few that we do on this podcast. Uh, it's not that there's stinkers in there, but it's just like how do you how do you get on this level and scaffolding and step yeah. down or step up? Right, you, you can't really do either without bringing a conversation into the mix that is going to have people doing thumbs up and thumbs down at you for the rest of your career because it's so. Uh, I don't know. It's so well crafted. Yeah, if I ever got a single thumbs down in my career, I would pack it up mm-hmm. and quit. A single one. Any, so please, listeners, one. like and subscribe. Mm-hmm. If we get a single thumbs down on any social media platform, we quit. We quit. And uh, we haven't asked this in a long time, <laughs> and I noticed it totally stagnated, but it really does help us. <coughs> if you find the time, Go over to iTunes. Give us a five-star review or some kind words in the review section, please. I'm doing uh, wrap-up uh, lingo because we're at two hours and 20 minutes. So Yeah, go watch it. Go watch it. Go fucking watch it. Again, because you probably have, but again, it's been long enough. Even if you watched it yesterday, it's been long enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're the CBBs. Bye. Bye, bye, bye. <laughs>